Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey guys, brand new podcast, and we are <laughs> the worst parents in the world. The worst. If you're questionable about That's your, not true. We're getting a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting another bull mastiff puppy. I was like, I can't help it. I miss. It's it's been it's been so much better. So, and I want to thank everyone so much for all the kind words you guys shared, and all the all the everyone that reached out. It means so much, and it means really like leveled to me how important comedy is because laughing really gets your brain off like bad shit, but we're getting a puppy, getting a puppy gets your brain off bad shit. We're getting Um, a puppy because the puppy we currently have follows me for two to three hours a day. Wanted me to play ball with her in the morning and then two or three hours again at night because she lost her playmate. So we're really getting Izzy a puppy because Literally from seven to ten this morning, she just brings me the ball, which I'm happy to play with her. But it's it's amazing how much how how more receptive you are to a dog's love that's been driving you fucking nuts since the day you got it. <laughs> this dog is such a pain in the ass, but so in a in a good way. She just wants attention. She just wants to to play. She's very playful, and that's awesome. But I can't possibly since spend six hours a day throwing a ball. Oh, uh, hot summer nights tours goes back on the road. Next next week, this comes out next week. Wichita, Kansas, Kansas City. I wonder if I can remember them off the top of my head. Memphis, Columbus, Ohio, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, uh, New Jersey. God, it's at burtburtburt.com. Get your tickets. Drive in the movie theater. Get there early. Tailgate. Set yourself up a nice little space. Stay socially distanced. Stay safe. Bring a mask just in case. Listen, don't do it because it's politics do it because it's nice to the fellow guy next to you who might be afraid it might be freaked out or don't worry i don't whatever, whatever the fuck you're a grown-up i'm not gonna tell you what to do but uh but you should wear a mask yeah well where's yours i live with you i love i love wearing a mask i love it i love having cool fucking masks i, know, I posted something on instagram of the girls at the grand canyon hugging like this yeah and i was like socially distanced vacation they're like they're touching each other they live together like they live together. I was. I kept going. I, that doesn't make sense. Those comments don't make sense. Our daughter George is calling. Answer it. We're back. Family drama. It's being a parent so tough, especially to a sixteen-year-old. Good God. Good God. Just take me back to when they were babies. I got a video online of uh, me and Georgia uh, when I was working for Travel Channel. By the way, I thought I was fat as fuck then. I'm actually pretty skinny. You are not fat. In that video, I wasn't. No. I looked good. No. I know. Mm. I'm going to stop talking negatively to myself. Please. I don't do it with stand-up. I don't do it with anything. It's exhausting. But man, my body, I talk really bad to myself. So bad. Tom actually said, he goes, I actually, listening to you talk bad about yourself makes me not want to talk bad to myself because he goes, I look at how unhealthy it is. It's so unhealthy. It's not very loving. Yeah, but I don't know. It's not. 
Okay. Punitive. Yeah, I'm a punitive motherfucker. Yeah, it's not fun to listen to someone be punitive to themselves 24 seven. You should have. You should have heard. You should have heard what I would say about your body when you used to be fat. I'd be like, God damn it, this piece of shit, (laughs) this fucking disgusting pig. I'm um, so sure. <laughs> but, uh, body shots. Birdie, b- fucking hot, but- hot summer nights world tour. U.S. driving theater tour is on sale at burpurpurt.com. We got merch. Go to burpurpurt.com for some merch. Check out my lovely wife's podcast, Wife oh. of the Party. Uh, we have some new merch. It hasn't been launched yet. A lot of new merch for the hot summer nights tour. So, and it's cool stuff. It's really cool stuff. Not just t-shirts. Um, today's podcast is a really good one. I, Halston, Halston's here with me. Halston uh, also works for, uh, for Ron. He works for me. Um, and, uh, when Ron Funches was first on my podcast, I told Ron, I don't know if I get credit for this. Sometimes you ever wonder if like, does that even matter? It doesn't matter. But you just like, I, I, I don't want to say something and then someone go, Hey, by the way, that's not how it went down. And I do that a lot. But I, I, I definitely told Ron at that podcast, I was like, you need to start a podcast, right, Halston? Yeah, and then since I knew him, I, we had mutual friends from Oregon in the past, um, Ron and I did not know each other until he did your podcast uh, a little over two years ago. And you encouraged him to do a podcast. And then, uh, and so I guess the only person he knew was me, right, to produce yeah. it. And so... That's how that came about. But yeah, you, you're the one who encouraged him to do the podcast. Yeah. And so he does have a podcast. It's called getting better, getting better, getting, getting better. Is that G I T T? I don't think I can say that. I don't think I'm allowed to say that. I think it's cultural appropriation. If getting, if you do, if you do someone else's accent. So I'll say getting better, but lose the G. No, I'm kidding. I'm fucking around. I'm trying to be woke. Um, getting better with Ron Funches. Uh, it's what describe his podcast if you can, Halston. You've listened to all of them. Yeah, he uh, he has different comedians on and and different people that he looks up to, like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Conan and stuff like that. And he just wants to see what what makes them tick, what what makes them uh, get to the level of, su- of success that they got to, um, and how they maintain their their lifestyle, uh, whether it be health wise or diet, exercise, all that sort of stuff. You know, Ron lost over 150 pounds at one point. So he really dedicated his life at that moment to getting better. And uh, he always shares his insights on how he did it. And he wants to pull that from his guests as well. It's, I I remember running into him after he lost all that weight. I was drunk at an airport in the morning and I just gave him a hug. I was like, you look fucking fantastic. He does look fantastic. He's busting his ass. He looks great. Uh, we talk about we talk about a lot of stuff. Um, we talk we talk for over two hours, correct? Yeah. And uh, and we talk about how Tom Segura is just the worst person ever. Kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, we we do we do talk about Tom and the wrestling thing and how it's it's old school wrestling technique that kind of worked for Tom. It's it's an interesting conversation. We talk about that. We talk about. I'm sure we talk about wokeness at some point or. Or uh, we talk about everything. It's a just, this is what podcast should be. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. We got a couple mid-roll reads, right, Halston? Uh, that you'll hear. Once again, thank you for allowing me to do the reads. They pay for the podcast and pay for everything. And, it, and, it, and, and, I, and 
in the time of COVID, these podcasts mean a lot to me. So thank you so much. New Two Bears, One Cave is out. New Bill Bird is out. Um, go find them where you get podcasts. And that's it. Guys, have a great week. Enjoy the podcast. Stay safe. Stay healthy. If you're in Wichita, Kansas or Kansas City or any of the cities, I will see you in your city at a drive-in movie theater. Make sure um, if you do, if you, if they're allowing tailgating in your city, I don't know what the laws are, but if you do allowing tailgating and you put up a cool tailgate, something fun, put, take pictures, put it on Instagram and tag me. I want to see all of them. I will share all of them on my Instagram stories. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, today's podcast, Ron Funches. I feel like my setup's kind of like, it's okay, but like, uh, I've never, like, it's all me doing. I kind of, if I had known we were going to be in quarantine this long and doing this many Zooms, I would have stepped it up to the next level. Yeah, I mean, going, getting more as we go along, got my ring light now, got my better cameras now. Like, Oh, yeah. Just- my wife bought this, the ring yeah. light. Mm-hmm. Really, a little light makes a big difference. I have, a, I have lights from when I was shooting. When I got fired from Travel Channel, I like doubled down and I started creating content. So I bought like legit lights. So I'm using those. You can see, but whatever. But um, but I get into that shit. I, I just didn't know we were going to be in this this long. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody did. And I had an inkling because my my manager was just like, well, we'll just cancel these March dates and these April dates, and then we'll see how May and June is. And I was like, I don't. I I think this is the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you have a panic when this started? Because I, <clears throat> I I I was thinking of that the other day. Did you have a panic when this started? Of like. Hey, so when's the end date? Or did you, cause I really was like, oh, I'll be back on the road in June. And I literally was like freaked out about that. But did you, did you have like a panic when this started? Um, I didn't have a panic when, it, I mean, I had the initial, like, let me get all my shit together. I've never been a preparer. I've never been a like hoarder of things. So I was like, oh, we don't have toilet paper. We don't have this. We don't have that. So it was that stress of like, let's get all our bases covered and all that together. Um, and then what really got to me was when we, when they made that date of like, oh, this is when things are going to start getting back to normal. And I pl- made some plans after that. And I, and I booked some podcasts in person and then to see all those start getting canceled and all that being like, well, actually, no, we're not. That's when it really was like, oh, oh, okay. I don't know when this is going to change. And I, uh, had to change my opinion about doing Zoom comedy shows. <laughs> have you been doing? Have you done any Zoom comedy shows? I've been doing them now, yeah, because I'm getting ready to do my own live stream comedy event on YouTube. The perfect first p- plug I get to do. Nice. Uh, September fifth, ten dollar tickets. You can go to ronfunches.com. I'll be doing the hour that I've been working on since my last special with with my friends that I know it's basically we're doing our road show that we would normally take on the road and since we can't we're going to do it on, on zoom uh, at Titus at Chris Titus's production studio so there'll be a little 10 person audience and and it'll be a I think it'll be a real fun oh uh, wow so 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 uh so Titus has got a production studio, huh? Of course that motherfucker does. Yeah, of course, of course he does. He <laughs> He's been waiting for this. He's been pl- planning the demise of the Hollywood system. <laughs> Titus heard stay-at-home orders and was like, this is all working out perfectly. <laughs> My wife actually said, what's Chris Titus up to? I haven't heard from him in a while because she follows, follows like, she follows comics. 
She goes, what's Titus up to? And I was like, I was like, that's an interesting ask. Cause normally with my wife, it's like, what's Whitney doing? What's, uh, what's like, you know, Rogan doing? like, you know, it's like, it's like the people that are in my, that I hang out with or I talk yeah. to regularly. She goes, what's Titus up to? And I was like, who fucking knows? But I guarantee you he's doing something big. Yeah, no, um, he'd always been someone. I mean, I, growing up, I just loved the show. I love his stand up. And then I had him on my podcast and just talking to him about the way that he he kind of works outside of the system and has been self-producing his own specials for years is something that, you know, was deeply interested to me. So um, this was kind of the best way for me to do it, of, of seeing if I can get a market of people who like me to to take a thing direct to consumer, which is he, he's been doing for years with great success and something i want to do because i hate middlemen so <laughs> you know i've had that conversation a lot of times we um i've had i've had that conversation a lot of times about middlemen it's interesting i got an i had an an option to do something on my own and i did something on my own with no notes and i was craving notes i like was wanting someone to tell me what to do because once you get that option you're like yeah but the truth is with touring with uh, i'll tell you podcasting man i think you know i think you started your podcast with through halston right i think shortly after we met yep. and I, I told you i said stay away from everyone make this your own have this your own because owning it yourself is so valuable no, yeah, yeah, that's something I take uh, very seriously, and and I agree with you about the notes thing. I think we see that so often that like people who create these great arts and then they get these big deals where they're like, just make what you want, and then yeah. it's, it's horrible. It doesn't come out well because we all need that like that Someone. outside eye being like to fight against sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk to you about your podcast. Uh, like, sure. um, tell me from the beginning idea to where you are today to like what books you read to get you in the mindset mm. and was your podcast a jumping off point for where were your mo you were moving in life because I want to say the last time we we met you've lost a lot of weight you've you've really gone after goals the way I haven't seen a lot of people do it Oh, thank you, Bert. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um the original idea of the podcast was just the thing that was like the way I talk with my friends and the people who are really, really close to me, you know, not the people, not necessarily other comics or anything like that, who are like, you know, friends and acquaintances. But if you're like my best friend, you were over at my house at vision board parties. You knew that I love talking about goals and feelings and you knew that I like doing affirmations and pumping my people. And you knew that I hate negative self-talk like people don't put themselves down around me because I will tell them to leave. You know, because I, I don't like that energy. And so it was more of like the podcast was like, how can I be more me and bring more of me than even the, what I'm doing on my stand up? You know, because those things aren't necessarily great premises of like, you know, but um, it, it is who I am. And originally I was just trying. My original idea was to make a version of The View for men. <laughs> And then I talked to a lady and she thought it was sexist and she hated it. And so, <laughs> and so it just became more of this thing about um, this constant search of getting better because um, it's it's where I felt the best in my comedy. When I'm anxious, when I have anxiety, when, is when I'm worried about 
getting something, when I'm worried about what other people are getting, when I'm worried about specials, when I'm worried about roles, when I'm my best, when I'm my happiest and when I'm my funniest is when I lose all of that. And all I'm worried about is my next set. All I'm worried about is getting better. All I'm worried about is my next fucking, you know, gym set. You know, it's just staying in the moment. And to ask your questions about the books, um, there's a lot of them that I read even like in my late teens and early 20s that were helpful for this. I read a lot of books about mindfulness from uh, Thishnet Han. Uh, the Secret was a big part of it. Uh, Emily Gordon's that, books. That, that, secret broke, that Secret broke a couple comics too, though. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. Some comics up where you're like, they don't even do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, but I kind of, that same thing with the pandemic and politics. I was like, well, you guys were already basically uh, just protesters on stage anyway. It wasn't funny. You were just doing protest things. So yeah, get out into the world and go protest because you weren't funny uh, in the beginning. So <laughs> <laughs> when you were when you were younger as a comic, mm-hmm. and you were, um, and I, I hate to I hate to kind of like put it this way, but it, but you have changed so much. I, I, even your energy, I think, at times. And considering your last special, you did in a suit, and you look fucking amazing. Like, but when you were younger, it was more overweight smoking weed was that was that self-esteem problems was that negative talk was that was that the stuff that you are now combating against yeah a lot of it is i mean some of it was was fun some of it was just i i was a young 20-something comic who was broke and fat and and just like smoking weed and wearing hoodies uh but a lot of it was yeah i i didn't believe in myself i didn't believe that i could achieve things i and i didn't have any um background information to tell me otherwise everything else was like oh you've always been poor you've always been broke people always make fun of you like so like there was just this lack of faith in myself and it was um it took my my first acting gig and seeing me on tv and it was like this twofold thing of i was like hey whoa i didn't I was kind of able to avoid how big I was and and how unhealthy I looked because I, you know, I just if I didn't go look in the mirror, I never noticed. But when I saw myself on TV, I was forced to go like, oh, holy shit, I don't look healthy. And then the other half of that was like, oh, shit, I'm on a sitcom and I don't even take care of myself. I don't even, you know, I wasn't, I was barely in acting class at that time. So I was like, well, what if I buckle down, go to acting class? What if I work on my health? You know, if if I'm a fifth lead, not even trying, maybe I'm a first lead if I fucking put in some effort. Yeah. Yeah. Were you worried? Were you concerned about were you concerned that the the lack of effort, the the weight was like the character they wanted? And that if you lost the weight, they'd be like, I remember going into it. I remember losing weight, going into a casting after I did my first sitcom mm-hmm. and 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 it was and obviously, as you know, and I'll explain to anyone listening. Once you book a sitcom, you no longer audition. You go straight to producers. Like you're like, it, for you, it's probably just a straight offer. But like, but when for me at the time, it was going straight to producers. And I walked in, and they were like, big producers were like, oh, so you like, are you like changing your look? And you're like, no, I'm just trying to take care of myself. Thinking, why wouldn't you want a better year? Like, I'm not just gonna be like fucking the guy. Like, I'm gonna grow. Also, were you concerned mm-hmm. about that? 
yeah, I, I was concerned about that. And, and it proved to be somewhat true in the short term. You know, I definitely lost out on some gigs that w when they came for the audition or for the callback that they were like, oh, we thought you were this and now you're not anymore. And you're not the guy. And it even hurt my my touring a little bit because they would use the old fat pictures because they were like, well, they don't people don't know who this oh, new person yeah. is. Wow, I forgot about that. But I forgot that happened to me too. I had <laughs> like Adam Sandler. I was young. Dude. I what the fuck is that? <laughs> but I will say, I, I have to say, the best thing that happened was, um, you know, the producer that shows Bill Lawrence who created Scrubs and uh, Clone High and and uh, Cougar Town and all that shit. And um, he just flat out came up to me one day and he was like, "Hey, I've seen you working out a bit. I've seen you backslide a bit." He's like, I'll, "I'm gonna let you know, like." we we like you we like you for this role because you you're you and you're funny you don't this character does not need to be fat if you don't want him to be fat and i that was something that really like helped me so that i was no longer concerned that if i changed people wouldn't want this character anymore and it, then it mostly became fuck you if you don't oh you like that guy let me show you what i'm up really about was was working on Undateable a fun experience? It was an amazing experience, and it, it was one that only got more amazing to me the further I got away from it because it was all a group of comedians who 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 loved doing stand up, and they even um, would adjust the schedule so that we would end in time so that we could go to the comedy store, go to the improv. And, and now that I've been on other shows, I know that that is not something they care to do. <laughs> like they will, they will take you all friggin' day. Um, and, and just the freedom, the freedom to come up with my own material, my own jokes, my own bits. I did my own like homage to I love Lucy that they put into the show. I yeah. did a whole like two minute bit about being high that they put in the show and, and just being on sitcom sense where like where they don't want to have fun where they're like clocking in and clocking out like it's a regular job i was like oh man i didn't i didn't know how good i had it until it was gone yeah it's interesting I, my first tv show is a show called the x show in 1999 2000 and 2000 i guess and uh i was I, I it was the greatest job i ever had and i remember saying i remember one of the grips telling me just so you know I know this is your first show. They're not all like this. And one day you're going to regret not enjoying, like you're going to look back and go, shit, I missed this. And I went uh, in my head, Ron, and I think you can probably empathize with this. When you book your first show and you're young and you're, mm -hmm. and you're talented and people are telling you you're young and talented, you think this is smooth sailing from here on out. They picked the right kid. This kid's got it. <laughs> so have fun standing in my jizz, suckers. And, just, <laughs> and uh, man, I didn't work. I didn't work right after that. And I, re I mean, I did. I, I did a sitcom, and then, and then, and then things started drying up. And I just was. I remember that guy's words to me. He was a grip, big dude, probably dead now because he was uh, from heart disease. Fucking long goatee, <laughs> and, uh, and he and I, he was so right that first show because. You're experiencing everything for the first time. You're not jaded. You don't, you get, you get a parking spot and you're excited. You're like, yeah, I got a fucking, that parking spot meant so much to me. Yeah. If someone took the time to spray paint my name on a, like, you're like, 
Oh yeah, and then, then I was there because I would still sneak around and um, go to the lot and, and work out at the gym and try to smooth around with people even after the show was canceled. So I got the joy of seeing the play, and then I got the horror and the pain of watching them strip them off. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy when you go back and like I did a show on that lot uh, right after that, like a guest. They used to do uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Kimmel had a show called uh, Win Ben Stein's Money, mm-hmm. and I tested for it when Jimmy left. And I went in, and the same guy that used to check my ID, I had to now, I didn't get to drive on, I had to walk on, and he didn't even remember who I was. And I went, oh my God, so that's this business. Mm-hmm. It truly wow. is. And you stop getting free stuff, the worst. That's yeah. where I'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long, how long have you been doing stand-up? Uh, 14 years. Four, 14 years. That's uh, see, that's enough to have a base, like meaning like when I started, I had no base. I had been doing stand up six months when I got my first deal and then a year and six months when I got my second deal and my TV show. And so I have been doing stand up for under two years and I was on TV and I remember Patrice O'Neill telling me, you got no base like it, like when this goes away, everything goes away. And I, mm-hmm. and I was like, he's jealous. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Boy, was he fucking right. And I said, and, and I, I'd say to you now, where, where you think you are, where you go, where you just said that, man, 22 years, when you get to 22, you're like, you're like, hey, everyone can suck my dick, man. I'm, <laughs> like, I, I'm, so, I'm, not, I'm definitely not well-rounded, but like, as Halston knows, I live in a very small house. I don't ask for much. I don't need much. And anything I make is all gravy. I just want to make sure the girls can go to college. Me and Leanne can retire. And like, and like I don't need... And, and so I think, and I think your perspective shifts, like, uh, you know, talking to Bill the other day, Bill Burr, and he was like, we're talking about going on the road. And he's like, no, fuck it. Fuck it. It's not worth it, man. I got two new babies. Like, I think the older you get, you start going, I remember, I heard someone the other day say he's retiring. He's like fucking 50 years old, not Bill, but another person was like, I'm done. This business can suck my dick. I don't need it. I don't need the headache. And you're like, and it's a shift in, in mentality because your fucking fighting years haven't even started yet. Like your yeah. fucking your fucking fight weight hasn't even started yet. Like I would love to be fourteen years in. Fucking oh. love it. Don't tell me that. Oh, <laughs> bro, bro, the hunger. See, like I'm my already hun- struggling over here. You're I'm not- already getting my projects denied and pushed around. It's because because you're fourteen years in, right? So fourteen <laughs> years in. No, that is. But fourteen years in. Let me think. Halston, you still here? Do the math for me. 14 years in, I started when I was 26. So when I was 40 years old, 40 years old, uh, I was in Australia. I was the skinniest I've ever been. And I realized on one of the best days of my life that my job at Travel Channel was fucking pointless. (laughs) I realized I am a stripper. I have no forward movement. I'm making money. I'm having a good time, but I'm not learning anything. And, And let me tell you something, Ron. I didn't change my trajectory for another three or four years. I looked, and at the time, Tom Segura, who I know you hate to death, Tom Segura. No, I like Tom Segura. I hate Mystic Rick. Fuck that guy. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, But Tom Segura was blowing up, man. He's got his first Netflix special. He was started touring. He was getting out of the clubs, going into small rock venues. And I remember thinking, I could pivot or I could stay on the track. And I had kids. I was like, I need to pay for shit. I need to make sure I got this house taken care of. I got to make my nut. Man, imagine being where you are today when you're 44. Like mm. that was where I was when I got fired from Travel Channel. My friends were all doing theaters. 
and I'm sitting there going, I can't sell clubs at the St. Louis, uh, at the St. Louis fucking uh, Heliums. Or mm. is it St. Louis? Yeah, they got a helium it's there. St- you probably the funny bone at the time. No, no, no. St. Louis, St. Louis Heliums. They just opened it. I walked in and I remember the manager saying to me, I'm looking at a gas station and I, and in my head, I'm not selling any tickets. I'm fucking going nowhere. I'm literally just did press and they didn't know who I was and didn't care who I was. And I, and they brought me in for like seven minutes. And the manager said to me at the time, he goes, so how long, how much longer do you think you can do this? And I went, Ron, the look on your face was a look on my face. And I thought, wow, that's what he thinks of me. And then I got into a fucking fight with Doug Benson on stage and we each <laughs> other. It was like the one of the worst. If it wasn't for Shane Torres to fuck, <laughs> I would fucking, I don't know where I'd be. I like, I, I, it was a rough fucking weekend and I, and I didn't make any money. And that weekend, Doug Benson introduced me to Google Trends and it changed the way I looked at the business it entirely. And I went, Oh shit, you just got to pop online. You fuck television. Mm-hmm. You need pe- people buy tickets online. Mm-hmm. You need someone at their computer to see you and then go, how do I get tickets to that? And I shifted everything. I got fired from Travel Channel right after that, but like but like I say to you, man, 14, you you got a great fucking podcast and you're beyond you, your your interests are dialed into where our fans live. Like you love, I want to talk to you about wrestling. I want to talk to you about the Kona stuff. I want to talk to you about sneakers. I want to talk to you about so much stuff. But it, to get to this point to button it, you're right where you should be. You're right where you should be. I mean, I wouldn't, don't, you know, always have, look, trust me. I have my special come out and I started panicking going, I got to get on the road. And so I just came up with this drive-in movie theater tour. I was like, fuck it. I'll make it happen. Luckily, I'm in the position where I can, force that hand on my agents and go mm-hmm. make this happen. And then when they bring me back a less than stellar offer, I can go, fuck it. I can afford to lose money. If I do, let's do it. And then turned out very positive. We're doing another run of them, mm-hmm. but like, but like, yeah, I, I mean, at 14 years, Ron, I would have traded seats with you any day of the fucking week. So, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you for saying that. That really helps me because, you know, I get caught up in my own weeds and what I got going on. And, yeah. but a lot of what you said is, is, is something that, that popped for me a little bit earlier in my head. So I'm glad that I listened because I was kind of in that same boat where I was like, I went on undateable sitcom. And then as soon as that got canceled, like the next day they were like, we got a meeting for you. This other show wants you to be a series regular on that show. So it's very similar. I was like, okay, this is what I do. This is easy money. They just like me. And then it, it, that show got canceled in one season and it was not as fun to work on and was not as enjoyable for me and wouldn't let me do stand up and i was very much came aware like oh i don't have a base like people like me when i pop up on at midnight when i pop up on different sitcoms they like it but they don't have a way to follow me after that and that was one of the reasons why i made my podcast i was like well even if i don't have something going on i have a home where i can show people hey this is what i'm about this is where i'm going on and and build like you said then it's my base so i don't have to if if and the thing that sucks now about not having a touring is that I miss at least having that, oh, fuck you. That's not a good role for me. That's not a good offer. I can just go on the road. Fuck it. And now I'm very much in like, okay, yes, I'll, I'll audition to be a taste bud. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think what I think is great about, about us as comics 
is we have the ability to pivot. Like we have the, like, you know, I, I feel bad for actors, like uh, actors. I, I actually said something really shitty one time to my daughter and my daughter, it was the worst parenting I've ever done in my life. <laughs> uh, she was talking about an actor and I said, I have actually no, res- I, I really regret this. And so I'm going to say this and I know people will hear this and I, and I want everyone to know that not only did I take this thought back, but I took it back to my daughter. I said, I have no respect for that person. And she went, why? I said, because Isla, at the end of the day, that person is powerless against their own future. They have nothing they can do other than recite other people's words. Mm. And unless the person who wrote the words decides they want that person to say their words, they can't do anything about it. So like, I don't, and I I didn't know that Isla really wanted to be an actress. Like she loves acting Mm -hmm. and I, and I, and she's a very funny like actor in the play she does. And I, and, and I said, being a comic's the what you want to be. I wanted her to want to be a comic, but and that's stupid to do that. That as a dad, but I go being a comic. I would great. not want my daughter to be a comic. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's trust me, it's better now than when I started in 1999. Those fucking poor women. Look at, let me tell you something. That's why I defend Ellen when everyone's going after Ellen. I go, you have no idea the fucking struggle that poor woman had to go through being uh, not like not what the norm at the time was and hear horrifical racist sexist jokes backstage in the 80s what people must have said to her and she just had to fucking take it and so if she doesn't want to talk to you on set like but but i'm not defending ellen because i don't know all the things this is why i don't talk about the delia shit or anything Mm because i have a gut instinct where i go I, i shouldn't say anything all i know is i like ellen i like ellen i have never been on her show I just like her, and I think that she probably had a struggle that a lot of people can't identify with. Yeah, I learned pretty early in this career to not not let um, trends or what other people's opinions color how I judge someone. I, I try not to judge someone unless I actually meet them and shake their hand, and then I can decide from looking in their eye if I fuck with them or I don't fuck with them. Yeah. Because um, you know, when I especially when I was just getting started as a headliner, everyone was like. Carlos or Carlos Mencia is horrible. Carlos Mencia is the worst person to ever think. Carlos Mencia come to one of my shows and just sat and watched. He didn't steal nothing. He just hang out. He just liked comedy. And I was like, hey, what are you doing here? And he's just like, I just like comedy. And he's like, yeah. and I know you're a good comic. So I came to see you after my show. And I talked to him. I shook his hand. And I was like, you know what? For everything, and I'm sure the shit he's done, and I'm sure you know there's, there's been things he wish he could take back. But when I shook that man's hand, I was like, that's, that's not a, a fucking evil guy. That's a decent guy. Oh, that's an interesting question about redemption then, because do you, this, our, our society is not allowing redemption on you any longer. Yeah, true. And, and, and it, and it kind of bums me out when you think that you're not allowing anyone to grow, that if you wore blackface like Sarah Silverman did, or Jimmy Kimmel did, or Jimmy Fallon did, or by the way, it seems like everyone apparently did, except for me, because I don't like fucking clowns. <laughs> like I don't, I never even like clowns bother me. So the idea of putting face makeup on, I did it one time in first grade. I, I dressed as Gene Simmons, and I had, and you can see it in the picture of my yearbook. I'm like this, like it's a guy driving me nuts the whole time. I'm like, get the fucking makeup off me. But it's like they're not willing to. It seems like people are like, party's over, they're canceled, you know. And it seems like you you don't, despite your, I, and I know you're somewhat politically act active, but like you don't. To agree with cancel culture you agree with redemption 
Yeah, of course. I mean, I think anyone who's gone through anything in life knows that we're not finished products. We're all works in progress. And and that's one of the things I truly hate in this culture is the joke that I've been talking about. It's like, I don't think there should be anyone allowed under 25 on Twitter and anyone over 25 on TikTok. That would have helped Chris D'Elia a lot. Uh, but- <laughs> But the point being that you're not a fully formed person. You make a lot of, of statements that you end up regretting in your 20s or 30s or who knows how long. And, and to be forced to live with that your whole life and people be like, well, that's who you are because you said that when you were 22. So that's who you are now, even though it's 10 fucking years later. That doesn't make any sense to me. It takes away growth, takes away development, takes away change. Um, it's one of the things why I don't like them. To, like They deleted all the blackface episodes of 30 rock and to me that's terrible because it's one thing that i would rather you be like hey look put a little preference go like this like they do with a lot of cartoons bugs bunny cartoons they go like this was the product of the time this was not a right thing that we were doing we recognize that but to show this in context and to show that it happened and that we we're ashamed of it we're not going to deny it and act like we didn't do it and I think it's, I mean, I also just have a weird position because one of my best friends is uh, Sean Waltman, X-Pac. And, and we, one of our first conversations was me talking to him about like, he was on wrestling ring in, in the middle of the Monday Night Wars back in the 90s, 6 million people watching. He did blackface and now he is married to a black woman. So you yeah. could imagine how she has to explain that uh, at her fucking family dinners. Yeah, I think X-Pac gets a pass. He's had a rough He's, he's been through a lot. He's been through a fucking. <laughs> okay. I don't he think anyone know he was wearing blackface. Shout out to Xbox. I was fucking wasted. I was like, I think, but uh, but yeah, it is interesting that like things you see uh, now. I, I don't think I watched a a, a um a Shirley Temple episode uh, mm-hmm. on the tour bus about because i i heard whitney talking about shirley temple being a sex it was about sex and like it was odd that a little girl with no father would walk around and sit in men's laps Hmm. and i was like i was like that's interesting because i never thought of shirley temple as that i always thought of the racist side the race yeah yeah like that's from when when i think of shirley temple i think of immediately i think of uh black men had to be actors in the whatever the 30s and take these horrific roles and and do and they had to do what minstrel minstrel roles i guess at the time and i watched a movie called uh, little rebel with mm-hmm. shirley temple have you seen it no let me let me pitch it to you okay okay all right first off is shirley temple's like sixth birthday so she gathers all her slaves right <laughs> Ron, it gets so much fucking worse. It gets so much. By the way, that's just the first scene of the fucking movie is her making them dance and then and then refer to their other six year olds. They're holding like it is so bad. But the crescendo, the where it gets horrific is they dress Shirley Temple in blackface and she hides in a closet and they dress her in blackface with an Aunt Jemima um do rag mm-hmm. and she and and it's all about them fighting the north her dad's a confederate soldier and the north is horrible and they portray the north as being horrific and you're like hold on the, and he's poor the my heart broke for for the my heart broke in a lot of places and by the way this is why i think it's important they don't get rid of scrub our history of these movies 
is that it's important to feel. As I'm mm-hmm. sitting on my tour bus, I'm hungover. You know, I got Shane, Captain Woke, above me. So <laughs> if I have any questions, I can run them by him. So when I'm watching this, I feel bad for the, the older dudes that are playing like her slaves. But I felt really horrific, really horrific for the children, the slave children. The, mm-hmm. But by the way, they're just actors. But then these are, these are just young black people in the 30s who had to play slaves. By the way, their grandparents were definitely slaves but they had to play slaves and they had to play subservient slaves to Shirley Temple and to watch that interaction on screen. But to know that off screen, it wasn't probably that much different from them for them. I just sat there and I was like, I couldn't, I mean, obviously I couldn't get through the movie, but like I got to, I had to scrub forward to like, go like, just get me to the point so I can write a joke about it. And I couldn't, I couldn't even write a joke about it. Cause I was like, it's really gross. It's really gross to think, but I don't think things should be scrubbed. I don't think I like, I think they should get rid of Confederate statues only because the reason they were put up was bad. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think they should get rid of uh, names of cities per se. Uh, Like, I don't think they should get rid of Washington DC or Columbus or, or Austin or all the cities that they want to change names of. Cause then we're just going, what are we just going to call it? District seven. And we're turning into, well, I think overall, I mean, that's just used to complicate what the real issue is, right? Like the, the real issue is a very, very simple issue. That's it. That's it. I'm going to, I want you to tell, explain that. It is used to complicate the real issue. And it's done by the far right. Yeah. It's just all these things that are thrown in and and added. Like, well, they want this and they want that. And they want to change the world. And they want to run the thing. And even Terry Crews is out there being like, well, we can't make it turn into Black Lives Better. And it's just like, that is not what this has ever been about. Even though if that happened, fuck you. Your turn. Uh, but (laughs) But the whole point of Black Lives Matter is very simple. Hey, Please, if you're a civil servant, if your job is to protect your community, please don't kill us. That's it. And, and, and if that is too much, if you happen to accidentally kill us, please let there be some repercussions. That's it. That's the whole thing that's about. And it's bigger. I mean, as much people then go, all lives matter, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah. That is used as such a throwaway statement, but what they don't understand is how important Black Lives Matter is to their very statement. It is a test. It is a case of like, if you allow this to happen to people that you can, the same propaganda that they use for Nazis, for Japanese, then he's like, you just refer to black people as thugs and as violent as this. And then if you are just willing to go like, well, you know, they, you shouldn't fight with the police and you shouldn't run from the police and you shouldn't do this. That's why you get murdered. And then the next thing you know, there's vans in New York city picking up everybody so that is fucking scary by the way listen i'm always i always keep my my mouth away from politics but all i see when like i don't i don't talk antifa proud boys i try to stay away from all that you know just because like i said i haven't done any of the research i can tell you i don't i think police brutality is horrific when i watch those videos it hurts my heart i can tell you that when Trayvon Martin died, I didn't see two parents. I didn't see two black people talking about a black kid. I saw two parents grieving a child. That's all I saw. And when I see these vans picking up kids, and I'm not talking politics, all I see is a bunch of grown men throwing a child in a van. I think of that being my little girl being, but I don't, like I said, I'm not talking politics. But I see Isla Grace, my youngest, spray painting a fucking camera and going, fuck, fuck, fuck this. This is my little political statement, taking a broom and hitting a camera. And then I see her walking down the street with her friends in a van and a bunch of dudes throwing in her van. That's all I see. I'm, I'm not talking politics. I'm just telling you what I see. And so 
I, I agree with you. I, I think that things get fucking really clustered up and, and, and yeah, people yeah. take these things that we shouldn't disagree on. Yeah, like yeah. people try to politicize what are basic human rights. And, and, and that's a problem. The idea that someone doesn't deserve to die should not be a, a thing that you have an argument on. There's not a Democratic or a Republican side to not killing people if you're a civil servant that should just be a human thing and yep. then we are unfortunately live in a time where they politicize everything and it's just it's just the fact that this is not the america that i wanted or i was born into or or that we celebrate anyone where they can just pick up people and throw them in a van like no matter what you disagreement there's a course of action that we've been taught to take and how to act and how to behave and we're no longer doing that so i don't consider it political i consider it a, a humanistic i consider it a thing where we need to save the American way and because the people who were wrapped themselves up in it but are lying and they're not they're not here to support us, whether you're white, black, whatever. They're here to get rich and steal our money. And that's it. Well, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough for white. Well, it's tough for white guys. Uh, let me phrase rephrase that. <laughs> it's, it's tough for white guys to be a part of this conversation right now, because I know that my interactions with police officers have been. And I have to say this, nothing but respectful. I've never had, I've had, I've had dick cops, but by, by, by me diffusing the situation and just saying yes and hands on the, on the thing and lights, inner lights on, I've had them go away. And so it, from my experience, it's like, once again, it's go take it back to Dalia. It's like, from my experience, I go, I, I don't know what it's like to be dehumanized by a police officer. I did see a documentary about the LA about race and and um, and cops in LA, and it sounded to me like black people were basically herded into three streets, like four streets, where they were like, "All right, this is where black people live." And by the way, the cops here now are to make sure they don't get out of the like. Mm -hmm. You guys are cowboys. This is cattle. Don't let them get into where we live. That's what it yeah. seemed like. And so once you see something like that, you can't unsee it, and then go, you can't then go okay, now I got to ignore what black people are saying. You have to go, oh, this does sound like I got to listen. And that's all, I, by the way, it's all I've been trying to do. You know how hard it is to not text W. Kamau Bell and go, <laughs> I got a couple questions I want to ask you about fucking the N-word or fucking, you know, like, like I want to, I got a few questions about that, that N-word's a bad example, but like, but like, and, but you, that every, I've heard from every black dude except for Donnell Rollins, don't fucking ask me shit, just listen. Don't fucking bring your issues to me. Just listen. And I'm like, and I'm just sitting in the cut listening. And it's. Yeah. I think it's your levels of friendship and relationship, right? You know, like, um, I grew up in Oregon. You know, I, I mean, I, I was raised in the south side of Chicago. Very, very t black, very, very fully black neighborhood. And then I end up living in Salem, Oregon when I turned 13, which is the exact opposite. And so I have a history, a use of being a lot of, um, white people's first black friend you know i've met a lot of people who consider themselves racist before they met me and it used to bother me and i used to be like well fuck you you know i'm the same as any other black person why did you have that but i've learned that usually at the root there are a very few people there's a small group of people some of them within the white house that are truly racist and truly bad people and truly want bad things but the majority of people just don't know and they're just ignorant and they fall to whatever the mainstream tells them and until they are 
posed with a different view or they meet a different person or they you know hang out with me and we're listening to dj quick and then turn around listening to johnny cash and then they go well what the fuck how can i hate you how can i hate your people you know and i just wish more there just needs to be a bit of a balance with everything of like because i still see it with a lot of black people they're just like well well, fuck you it's too late but you learned about juneteenth it's too late but to me, I'm just like kind of like, whoa, fuck, you guys are interested? That's that's dope. That's good. But yes, please go learn on your own, read your own books, white fragility and whatnot. And then, but Bert, if you have questions, you want to ask me directly, that's fine too, because we're friends. But just don't go up to a random black person on the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because I don't think, and this is a, a blind spot, I think, with me, but I think this is a forced blind spot. I think that. Society forced this blind spot onto me. I used to have a joke when I early when I started that, and because I grew up in Florida and I heard the N word a lot, like mm-hmm. like the N word. Well, I used to have a joke about it, but when uh, the N word was always tethered to another word to make it a verb, <laughs> so like so. And and uh, but I, I remember getting in New York and and being like see, and seeing what I considered to be no racism. Like everyone said, no one was racist, and that was a very a mock progressive time was the early 2000s and i would say it on stage everyone's i think everyone's racist and everyone would go whoa 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 i'm definitely not racist i don't see color and i remember going like i remember biting my lip and going you don't see color how the fuck do you get through the world like you don't like you gotta see color a little bit like everyone sees color like that is the most ignorant thing to say but people would be like no 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 i don't see color and that used to drive me nuts so mm-hmm. i started buying into it and going i guess i am fucked up in that i'm assuming things about everyone just based on experience and then all of a sudden to see these Karens yelling, go back to your country and, and, and to see people say the N word in public, like, mm-hmm. and to shout it in hate. Like, listen, if you're in your car, I talked to Trinidad James about it. If you're in your car, your windows are up. I love Trinidad James. Oh, dude, he is my favorite person. Like all gold, everything I, I is one of my favorite songs. His That's new a song, hit. Dude, his new song, uh, one of his new songs on it, which I think he just released three, is called uh, Black Owned. Have you heard it? No. You're welcome. It's okay, I'm going to get on it. Because yeah. I fucked with him heavy, and then the industry seemed like they stopped fucking with him. But I was like, no, this is a stylistic, cool-ass dude. I'm still fucking with you in the day. Very stylistic. Tom and I said he's got the best hair in hip-hop. He has the best hairstyles in hip-hop. Him and Snoop. Snoop's got beautiful, beautiful different styles of hair. Like, like his... I just- remember the video and he's walking around shirtless with a backpack holding that puppy and i was like this motherfucker knows what he needs to put out there he know like because that's the shit i would do you know you know he's really into shoes too right i would imagine no like like he's got a shoe podcast a shoe show that they do that's how segura segura introduced me to trinidad james and then me and him did a like instagram live together and, and we talked about his use of the n-word and then my my uh, appropriating it in my car. And then how does he feel about me in my car? And his response, once again, I am paraphrasing. If this is not what he said, I then misheard and I apologize. But his response was, it's my art. And if you use it responsibly and you're not being an asshole about it, then I I want you to enjoy my art, you know? And so that's my, my point about that. We'll pivot and talk about Trinidad, though. His, But no, I want to, before we do, I I do want to get into that point you said, because I think it, it, it takes out intention when you start just 
policing word usage and you start just policing jokes like um we'll go to a different rapper like this rapper named Krayshawn that was really popular I think like five eight years ago she had one song called Gucci Gucci that that people loved and then they found out that she said the n-word a lot and everybody got all crazy about it and, and and was like whoa 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 but what they failed to realize is that she was born and raised in the bay where they just throw that word around no matter what race you are it, it's about a, their community and we were judging their community that we weren't a part of so i, I look like that a lot and as far as the um not seeing any color that's one i mean that's one of the, the racist calling cards when you hear that because then you're like well, when you when you say you don't see color you're saying you see everyone as white you see everyone as yourself you see every you're whitewashing everything the fuck were you when i was doing this joke in des moines in 2007 fucking bro that is the that is the fucking point that is the i wish i had had the insight to have that to say that because i you're right when you say you don't see color you're saying i see everyone as white yeah that's it and then you're disregarding people's different culture and their different ways of being and when you don't see someone's color you don't see their way of life you don't see their struggle that they've been through you're putting them through a lens that everything is just whitewashed and and i i mean no i see color i see i know when (laughs) i know when someone's a little bit different and i just try to respect even if i don't understand those differences even because i'm not aware of their culture you just go, I don't get it. I don't know it, but I respect it. Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessed with, I've been obsessed with hip hop since, since they first displayed it on 2020. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I found hip hop. Isn't that sad? That's where I found <laughs> hip hop was 2020. And then I was like, and then I was like, I got to get, uh, what was the first man, Mantronics? Was that the first, I'm trying to think of the first hip hop album I got. The name of the song was called Baseline. I think it was man. Oh, you yeah, because you the first album I ever bought was Fuji's The Score. Oh wow, I'm so much older than you. I remember, I remember hearing about Will Smith when he was just like a underground rapper in Philly. I was in Norristown, Pennsylvania, with my cousin Abe and his best friend Quate, and they explained Will Smith to me and DJ Jazzy Jeff, and they played and they played. I think they played. I want to say they. I forget what they played, but I remember going like, "Okay, I'm really into this." This podcast is brought to you by Four Hymns. Four Hymns is all about men's wellness, whether it's help with hair loss, ED, having a cold, interested in mental health, or what I love about them is they also provide COVID 19 home tests. Yeah, Hymns is here for you. I started losing my hair when I was 22 and I did something about it. And you can do something about it. If you see that that hairline's going back, now's when you stop it. 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. And if you don't do anything about it, you just go bald. You don't have to go bald. Thanks to science, hair loss can be optional. Hims connects you with FDA-approved products to treat hair loss, and they have thousands of happy customers loving the results. Hims was created by a guy who knew that, just like me, most men don't want to go to a doctor. They'd rather deal with this online. So if you're approved, all you got to do, talk to a doctor online. If you're approved, products are shipped directly to your door in discreet packaging. Anyone can make claims about their tr- treating hair loss. But if you're not happy, Hims after 90 days, just email them and they will give you a full refund. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results, after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, my listeners can get their first visit absolutely for free. Go to 4 slash Burtcast. That's 4 slash 
BirdCast. Disclaimer, full refund of price paid available for first 90 days supply. Refund requests must be made between 90 and 100 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Guys, that's 4hims.com slash BirdCast. Let's talk about your morning routine real quick. Has it changed? How has it impacted your oral care? Do you wake up and brush your teeth or do you wake up, have food, and then brush your teeth? Is food delivering to your door? Is it being delivered to your door? How about getting your oral care delivered directly to your door? That's what I do with Quip. 75% of us use old, worn-out bristles that are ineffective, and even more of us forget to floss daily. Not me. I floss non-fucking-stop. Am I a flosser, Leanne? Yeah. I am a hardcore flosser. Good health starts with good habits. Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essential you need to brush and floss better. The Quip Electric Toothbrush has time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses for a guided, dentist-recommended two-minute routine. And there's even a size-down version for kids. Paired with their anti-cavity toothpaste, which I absolutely love in mint and in watermelon, you can get all the ingredients your teeth need. Quip also has an eco-friendly refillable floss with a dispenser you keep for life, an expanding string that helps to keep to clean in between. Quip's brush heads and toothpaste and floss are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5 each, a friendly reminder of when it's time to refresh so you committed to good oral health. And shipping's free. Join over 3 million happy customers and practice good oral care, easily and affordable, with Quip, starting just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash podcast right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill for free at getquip.com slash podcast. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash podcast. Quip, the good habits company. You don't want to know a secret. When I was in like fifth, fourth, maybe sixth grade, Seventh grade, now that I'm thinking about... There's a lot of range here. I know. What I'm trying to think of when I was talking (laughs) to girls on the phone, right? So Mm -hmm. I I talked to girls on the phone. That sounds like sixth grade. Sixth? Yeah, it does sound like sixth. So I'd talk to girls on the phone, and I'd be... Used to have the... the, If you were lucky, when you were a kid, you had like the... My sister didn't get one, but I got like a full stereo. Like up top was the, the, the record player, and then you had dual tracks where you could record stuff. Well, I had uh reggae in one and then i had hip-hop in the other and i would listen to hip-hop but if a girl called i'd hit pause and put her on reggae because i didn't want her to think i listened to (laughs) hip-hop crazy but it's funny like i still see like i i'm fascinated by by different culture meaning Mm -hmm. like like the terry cruz thing is interesting to me Mm -hmm. because i feel like i feel like i i'll be honest with you i feel like like the black community, it wasn't even with him when he me too that dude. Mm. Like I feel like, like yeah, I heard black, com- I heard black comics talking backstage about him, and I was like, wait, I, like I'm just listening, but and then you know what black comics I'm talking about backstage mm. that are going to be trashing Terry Crews. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> I can see their faces. <laughs> but I feel, I feel like people were waiting to pounce on him. I mean, I, I definitely was not. I'm a two. Uh, but I understand what you're saying because there's a lot of homophobia in the black community and there's a lot of things like, well, you're a big black dude and you got, are you saying you got sexually abused by, a, by a, you know, some tiny white agent? People, I mean, it's just right for jokes. I understand. I understand that. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's the thing he went through. Uh, 
I, I'm not going to fucking dismiss it. I'm not going to belittle I would, it. I wouldn't even know if it's as much homophobia with black dudes, but with white dudes too, because I know for a oh, fact. Oh, it's bigger in the black community. I'll tell you for a fact. Really? Yeah, we well, have I, a whole thing about the, you know, that you ever heard about the down low and all that? I heard about it, but I didn't think it was real, to be honest. It was with real. It was real. It was real? Yeah, you know, just a black community of like very flamboyant black dudes who were acting like they weren't gay, but they were. And now that I say that, it sounds like I'm outing myself because a lot of people in my YouTube videos keep telling me that I'm gay and I haven't come out yet. Uh, <laughs> but who knows? Who knows what the future holds for me? <laughs> I, uh, I've been following Phase on Love and Cameron. <laughs> First of all, I'm friends with Cameron, right? Like I'm I love friend, fucking Cameron. I'm friends, but like we texted a couple times and met him in a Knicks game, invited him to my show, and um, but I've been watching that, and and the all I will say, and I'm 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 fans of both of them. I'm a fan of Phase on Loves. I am legit a fan of Phase on Loves, and I am a legit fan of Jim Jones, Cameron, the whole Dipset. Like I, I was in New York. Well, I moved to New York when that when they popped. So. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's something about New York. God, stay on point, Bert. But there's something about New York that when an artist from New York pops in New York, that yeah. is your Sunday. When you're walking down the street, that's the music you hear playing in cars on Sundays when it's sunny and the top's down. And you connect with that music. Mm -hmm. like It changes your DNA. Like, that's who you become. You become yeah. that them. whole East Coast is like that. Whenever I go to Philadelphia, I still hear them playing Memphis Bleak and all the Rocco, you know, Rockefeller shit. And I'm like, damn, they rap that hard still. Yeah. And so, um, but I will say, having said I'm fans of both of them, their back and forth calling each other gay is so blind. Like, it's like, it's like, guys, you're like Cameron, love Cameron. I'll say it again. But he's like, just so you know, I got friends in the LBGT community, community but he's gay. And you're like, that, you're not, <laughs> like, I think you're missing the point a tad bit. <laughs> and Faison, you got to respect Faison because he's like, I don't even give a fuck. He's really gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a lover's quarrel. If <laughs> sounds like somebody stole somebody's boyfriend. <laughs> but it's it's really it's, it's really fascinating to me as like a trying to grow type of dude. Not saying I am at all, but like trying to listen as best I can to like scroll and you know you can't help what google news tells you what you're interested in they don't they don't give a fuck they're like oh by the way you're really into boats launching i don't <laughs> give a fuck what you say like, <laughs> i guess i am and so they're like and you're by the way you're also have a crush on chelsea handler even though you've talked shit about her on stage just so you know and you're like god damn it you're right you're right i do when just when I, I didn't at first and then when i met her and was working on chelsea lately you could feel the power coming off of her and i'm like that's very attractive i don't think i would I, I met her once. I don't think I'd have a crush on her if I met her. I think her energy would probably turn me off, but I think she's beautiful and I love her stand up and I like her. I like her. I like, I like from afar. I like her. Like I watch her go. I watched her. This is what's wrong with Instagram. I watched her go skiing for like three months in a row. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. She'd be fucking awesome. My wife never lets me hit a bait pen when we're going skiing. I was like, my wife only lets us go skiing for a weekend. She went skiing for three fucking months. She went skiing hey. for three months and then dropped a, a documentary on white privilege because <laughs> she was living the life she was well versed <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh but but i anyway I, I i don't even know what we're talking about but regardless that we're talking about thing. terry cruz the last i knew <laughs> oh yeah and then they're going after him about black supremacy is that what it is yeah 
So what, what, like, what is that? Is that the idea that they, that, that, let me, I'll tell you what it sounds like. Is that sure. the idea that no one, no, and it, no one ever stands for the national anthem now? And that is black rights first and then everything after that? Is that what black supremacy is? I don't think it's a real thing. I think it's okay. a thing that Terry is talking about. That is a, like a that basically he's using like fear mongering and, and, and old tactics that people use before, uh, but because again, as we talked about, it's a very simple thing that that Black Lives Matter is asking for, and what people are getting mad about Terry Crews about is that he is choosing to put himself into the conversation, knowing that no one gives a goddamn fuck what he thinks, and then using his privilege and using his power and using his platform to undermine what's going on and act as if it's this thing that we're trying to act for ask for black superiority that we're trying to ask for people to change your way of life if you want to stand for the anthem and chill i don't think anyone has a problem with that we have a problem with a system that's designed to not value our lives and it works more and and, and i know like and people probably like well ron you're fucking out in the valley you don't have to deal with that and and that's true on some occasions depending on where i go and then they're like hey you're out of bounds but what what you have to deal with every single day is this fear and this stress that anytime you see a police car if you see lights coming behind you it sends a chill down my spine i had it yesterday it wasn't even a real police car it's one of those people who had taken a car to make it look like a police car but it sent a chill down my spine that i had to shake for like the next 10 15 minutes and it puts a concern like i have the deepest concern about my son who is half black and autistic and does not follow directions well and what his interactions with a police officer who's having a bad day would be like and 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 that's what we're talking about is that living with that fear living with that stress and living with that reality is unnatural and not something that we should have and what terry cruz is talking about is just this fear-mongering thing that he's bringing up that if we get rights if we somehow get better we will just continue to be like well now we need reparations and now we need this and now we need that and and now you're our slaves and no one's fucking saying that no one said that at all and the fact that a man who i assume who i have a lot of respect for working that hard to get to where he is in the hollywood would turn around and say these very destructive things is fucking like horrible to me and i got i got no love for that and no respect for that I feel I thought about your son when um, that and by the way, and, and that young man who uh, used to play uh, violin for the for the deceased animals, I uh, forget his name. Um, he p- played violin for uh, rescue animals. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was killed. Mm-hmm. And, and it was clear, I think, that he, he was part autistic, maybe or on mm-hmm. the spectrum and that that the dialogue for and I think there's been actually a big I think there's, it's been with autism and cops. I, I sometimes I think black des- the color black definitely accentuates it, but there has been problems with cops dealing with autistic kids, but it obviously it gets worse if you were black because there's already a, a, the cop may have a predisposed view of how the situation's going to go. And if you aren't following instructions, like a lot of autistic kids will have a problem that I thought about that immediately. I thought about your son. Cause I thought, God damn it, man, that, your son, I don't have to say, is one of the sweetest kids in the world, just from his Instagram stories, just a sweet kid who's in his lane, likes doing what he likes doing, and and, and that's it. Never going to harm a soul in his life. 
and this kid looked at the I, I want to yeah. I wish I remember this kid's name and you just think god damn it. Elijah McClain I saw that and and here's the weird place I'm in is I don't want to tweet about it mm-hmm. like I, I don't want to tweet about Elijah McClain I don't want to put it out there because I feel like I shouldn't have to you should mm-hmm. see that and feel the same way I do and if I put it out there I feel like I legit M virtue signaling like, hey, just so you know, I'm one of the good white guys. I thought this was horrible. When I go, everyone should think this is horrible. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's something I, I've been struggling with and dealing with recently when George Floyd died and Breonna Taylor died. Um, was also just a personal story. It was also around the same weekend that my friend hung himself. And I was busy kind of dealing with that. To was this, this was, um, I, I, he was friends with Richard Shane. Bain. Yeah. Richard Bain. Richard he was Bain. a very, very, very funny dude. I heard him on, um, was it, he was he on the bone zone with Brendan and yeah, uh, yeah mm-hmm. he was a very, very, very funny dude. And, uh, it was heartbreaking. I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He's very funny, very troubled gentleman. Um, very, you know, just, probably was at his wits end and he he killed himself at the same house that I lived in when I first moved to Los Angeles where I remember feeling at my most lost and my most weakest and so it really hit hard to me and at the same time all these things were going on and I didn't post I was mostly just staying off of Instagram and I remember getting a couple of messages from from one guy in particular who was like when are you going to talk about George Floyd when are you going to talk about George Floyd and I just ignored it because I was dealing with my own thing and then he wrote back again he goes I'm unfollowing you because you refuse to talk about what's going on in the world because you are so worried about what's going on with your paycheck and and your next Hollywood gig. You refuse to speak out. And I wrote him back and I was like, look, I don't owe you anything. I grieve in whatever way I choose to grieve. And I got on my own personal things going on in my life right now. And it pissed me off. And I got about that. But then I thought about it a little bit more. And I was like, he's not mad at me. He's scared and he's looking for a leader. He's looking for someone to believe in. And right now you're supposed to be the messages that we like. These things are tragic and they're horrible. And and sometimes they happen in life. But we're used to at least then someone standing up and going, this will never happen again. Well, I will make sure that, you know, we're going to put out a task force, make sure stuff like this happens again. But instead, which, again, is the thing about Black Lives Matter. We're shown, huh, doesn't matter. It's cool you know good oh you know our fine police officers just doing their jobs and if these thugs didn't act up these things wouldn't happen and that's when it truly becomes soul crushing and it truly becomes this thing of like who do i turn to who is the leader and then some people turn to comedians and they turn to the people who are known for speaking their mind and if i don't say exactly what they want to say me to say they're like oh you failed me too you know and and so i look at it as like we're all as a country right now really looking for leadership and unfortunately sometimes we we look for it in places where we shouldn't get it like i'm not your leader i'm here to tell jokes and tell you how i feel and do my dumb shit and tell you my opinions but none of them are fact you know that's why so many people love joe rogan it's like yeah he's smart and he's funny and he does great things but do i should i listen to every goddamn word he says that i shouldn't play video games no he's just one fucking guy who holds fear factor who gives a shit yeah yeah he's uh he got blown up for that fucking video game shit, huh? Yeah, it's his opinion. It's not going to stop like, me from playing a game. He's a legit gamer. Like, if, like, just for the record, he was playing video games 
like back in the day. He had a he was obsessed with Quake. He I think he wanted he spent like thousands of dollars to get a TS one line dr- drilled into his fucking apartment into his apartment so that he could play fucking Quake. So I, like so like I I do want like I I I talked to Tommy about this the other day, but I I man video games for me has is is something I I I have a PSP like right Damn. here are my video games for my PSP. I need to stay away from that fucking PSP. I have a problem with it and it and it fucks up my life. Just for real, it fucks up my life and that I will just sit in my man cave and play on it and not spend time with my daughters. I understand partially what Joe's saying. I do. <laughs> yeah. Um but and I think there are people that like that the fantasy dials in the fantasy dials into real life and they overlap at times, but I don't, I don't, I, he's just Joe. It's just Joe. It's, I mean, but I know him very well. So like, yeah. he's the same man we got high and talked about. If you could throw fish 10 feet in the air and they started flying, would there be any fish left on the earth? And that's the same guy. Yes, by the way. exactly. He loves to make strong opinions and he talks about them. That's why people like him. But what, what the thing is that when people take it as the gospel, as if he's like, you know, some type of politician or, or some, you know, king, it's just, just one man's strong opinion, which is why he makes us laugh. You know, well, so, it's, it's the problem is, is Joe has been Joe for a lot of people. And I wouldn't say it's a problem. I know I use Joe. Joe's a really close friend of mine. I, I don't need to say that to anyone, but like, I definitely lean on Joe when it comes to like, like fucking breathing. Like this sounds crazy. Like I'm doing a breathe. I read a br- book about breathing because Joe had the guy on the podcast and I found it fascinating. I've read books on uh, the native American wild and uh, native American experience in the wild West. I've read books on, I've, I, I've leaned on Joe as a, as a leader at a lot of times. He's kind of, he's kind of like, Joe's also told me, Hey man, you need this. And I just go, well, he's also just Joe. Like, I, like, you know, yeah. and, and I think Joe would say the same fucking thing. I'm not your dad. I've heard him say that to people. I'm not your dad. I'm just Joe. Like, so it's, it is a weird thing because people lit me up on black lives matters day, the black box day, mm-hmm. because I, because I disabled comments and I disabled comments because Tom and I had a running joke on our podcast that Bert was racist. So like if I, it was the joke and then people would say it and we didn't, we thought it was funny because I'm obviously cause I'm not, but the, it, it was like, whatever you can say, whatever you want. Of course, Bert would say that. So, and what would happen was people would clip out portions of the podcast and edit them together. So it looked like I was saying horrific things about yeah. whatever Eskimos or whatever. So, yeah. uh, or Inuits, my bad. And so, uh, so I disabled comments because I didn't want people to make jokes on a very serious day that I felt was, you know, that, that wasn't the time to make that joke. Mm-hmm. And man, I got fucking destroyed. Like, how dare you? Your silence is deafening. You, you have made money off the backs of black people your entire life. How dare? And I'm like, what are you like? I'm literally going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then, and then I think you're right. I think people are just lost and they're scared and, and they think, they think we're someone that we really aren't like, and, and I know that they think I, I must be like this, like millionaire in a mansion with servants and butlers and expensive cars. And you've been to my house. That's not who I am. Got and a lot of shoes, a lot of free stuff. I got a lot. Of, I got fucking great <laughs> shoes right now. I was, I want to talk to you about shoes, but we're going to literally, because, but, um, but it's, it's interesting that they do look for leadership. And then What's what's problematic, I believe, is there are some comedians who have stopped doing comedy altogether and just want to be leaders. And you're like, yep. no, 
not even like Joe doesn't do that. Like, don't fucking how dare you tell me who to vote for? Like, yeah. who the fuck do you think you are that you're going to go like, hey, just so you know, here's what I'm voting for. That's who you should be voting for. And you're yeah. like, come on, man. I'm a grown man. I got two kids in high school. Get the fuck out of my face. Yeah, you can have strong opinions. And I obviously I have strong beliefs and and, and won't get into it. But I, I think overall, and this is something me and my fiance talk about a lot, is that just making sure even though a lot of people seem to be going away from that i stay classy like i never found it classy to ask someone who they're voting for or to <laughs> get into their face about voting like you you do what you want i'm gonna do what i want i have my strong opinions i have a firm belief that obviously things have not gotten great again so maybe we should go another direction but you do what you want you do what you feel and that's the reason we have a democracy or 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 we did until a few months ago uh <laughs> has been crazy man this has been one of the most fucked up years of my life i feel privileged to experience it i feel privileged yes. to, to to live through it and to go okay it's been tough at times but um but i you know better than boring hey how 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 lucky are we that we I mean this is, sounds crazy, but that we got to experience Dave Chappelle's fucking 35 minute set on YouTube the day that dropped. I got chill bumps and I lay I watched it in bed, in bed, first thing in the morning, watched the whole thing beginning to end. And I went, Yeah, man, like this is a shift in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real interesting, real enjoyable. I left going like, man, Dave Chappelle has a lot of anti-transsexual material for a guy who dresses a lot like a drag queen on his way to a uh, to a performance. You know, he looks like either just finished a performance, is dressing down, or he's just about to dress up. <laughs> either way, I thought that mesh tank top was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what he's doing in Ohio with the with the with the the socially distanced thing in the field. Mm -hmm. That's what I, and that's where this conversation started, but that's what I love about comics is that the pivot and say, I'm going to do something different, you know, like I'm going to fucking figure out my lane. You know, yes. there's, a, there's a young lady that there's a young lady. I wish I could remember her name and she is doing a live show much like you're doing. She's doing it from her garage and doing a streaming and charging $10 per ticket. And she, I think she's already at like $275,000 of mm. people who have donated. I'm nowhere near that. So if they want to switch over to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, before while we're still on this, because you know everyone's listening to this podcast. Where do they get their info? We're not ending, but where do they get the where do they get to see this? You easily, you just go to ronfunches.com um, and you can find a ticket link right away. It's going to be up on YouTube September 5th, live comedy special featuring me, Blair Saki, and my best friend Gabe Dinger. Uh, new hour of material that I've been working on. Just go to ronfunches.com. It'll be the first thing that pops up that I'm doing. So please go get tickets. So now are you going to, once you do that, is that hour going to be retired and you're going to work on a new hour? No, I'm going to keep working on it. This is more, that's why I'm calling it a live stream event and not a comedy special in case someone wants to reach out and give me more money to actually record it. Uh, but it's just, you know, I recorded my, my last special two years ago. So I had about an hour that I was comfortable with. And then I have all this new material now from dealing with the Black Lives Matter and the COVID. And so I want to do that. Um, while it's still somewhat, you know, poignant, while it's still timely before, you know, you can't wait until this all goes away. And then I'm like, hey, here's what I thought about what was going on a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I got really, really lucky. I had a great, 
uh, coronavirus joke that I was doing in when I was doing the road that um, no one got because no, it, they didn't understand it yet because I didn't know what coronavirus was. And then coronavirus hit, the joke works. And now that I'm doing these drive-ins, it's like my favorite bit. And ev- and by the way, I just start the bit and everyone goes, oh, I know. Like, it's like a great, like, you don't have to tell all. I used to have to yeah. over explain it. And yeah, now I you love go, that. Oh, it's so great. That's when they get right on board from the setup. Oh, it's the best. Who I wanted you? to ask you. I know you about to ask me, but I wanted to ask you, what's it? Um, are they honking the whole time? Like, I don't understand. To explain it to me, the drive-in show. It's amazing. It's a great experience. I wish I could give it to everyone. Um. It's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 I hate to oversell it because I've oversold it to just about everybody. And I, and I understand that my fans aren't who go sees every show. Yeah. My fans are pretty awesome fans. They're comedy fans. They are podcast fans. They are comedy special fans. Like they watch specials, you know, like you could talk to anyone that's one of my fans and they'd be like, Oh, I saw Tom's. I saw Patton's. I watched a little bit of Hannah Gatsby's like they may not watch the whole thing. Hey, listen, I, I actually, they, I, and they right there with me, then they yeah, right there with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I get it. <laughs> so, so, uh, but it's awesome, man. The show starts. So, so people start lining up on the street outside the drive-in around five, three o'clock show starts at nine. And so they're in their cars, kind of either smoking or having a cocktail. Pre-gaming, yeah. They're pre-gaming. Doors open at 7. Everyone kind of sets up and starts tailgating. People are pulling out grills. They're cooking burgers. They're cornholing. They're throwing the football. Now, here's what I love about it is that it is as socially distanced as you are comfortable with. So myself, personally, I know you're probably the same way. I wouldn't I wouldn't veer too far from my car. I may not even get out of my car, right, in, in an event like this. But I'm allowed to have that opportunity. I definitely wear a mask outside. I'm allowed to have that. And if you're more comfortable and if you feel more comfortable, then you can do that as well. You have this little area that's kind of blocked off for you. And so everyone's got their own little spaces. Everything's socially distant. Everyone's pre-gaming. They're setting up couches in front of their cars. They're cranking their radios up. I play music that I find to be Americana because it's a very Americana mm, yeah, vibe. Makes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a little Tom Petty, a little mm-hmm. like, and I play music. It all feeds through their FM. They're all the same FM yeah, station of course. for the music I pick. Uh Everyone pre-party show starts around 845. Everyone watches a beautiful sunset. Every sunset has been magical. Show starts, gets dark. We bring I bring three comics on stage to each do 10 minutes. I go up, I do about an hour five. It's interesting. You want to do in drive-in movie theaters, you want to do less time than more. It's it's better to do the material as opposed to try to fuck around. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't connect. You can't be like, hey. How? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And, and, and but fu- but it, what's also interesting is fucking around in the moment for like something that's going on. Like say like uh, like the first time I went up on stage, my fly was down and I didn't know it. And <laughs> so and so I like someone yelled it in the in, from one of the cars and I saw it on the ninety foot by ninety foot screen and I was like I just want to take my dick out and see what it it thinks what it, what it looks like what I think it should look like. <laughs> Big laugh. So anything in the moment works, but they are completely respectful. Like. No one's heckling. No one's honking. Everyone's listening. Big laughs. Like if you're a good comic, I say that I got to preface that because I don't want every comic thinking they can just go do a spot at a drive-in if they if they've just done it for like four years. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's you got to be a legit comic 
You gotta have that skill set. Been through all the open mics, all the empty shows, all that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 done a couple of USO tours. Done an arena. Done an outdoor college event. Mm-hmm. Done a cafeteria. Have your chops about you, where you know how to pivot in the moment and not just panic and go. I guess I'm just gonna read jokes. You know. Yeah, like, go into auto mode. Yeah, you gotta know what you're doing. And big laughs get big thunder laughs, like big thunder laughs. And you can fuck around and a, and a story works re- like I'm a I'm obviously I'm a storyteller so mm-hmm. stories work really really well because people are there for it and they're just they're very comfortable they're a lot of people are bringing inflatable couches uh hammocks they're in their they got their back they back their trucks up and lay in their back their their flatbed um and then the best part the two best parts I'll say is when you're done thank you good night everyone gets in their car flicks their high beams and hits their horns and it feels like you're getting abducted by aliens I got, <laughs> I got high in Fort Collins and on the late show, they fucking went nuts. And I was like, Oh my God. And then, and then I get in a, uh, I get into a golf cart and I drive through traffic while they're all exiting. And I do a meet and greet, socially distanced meet and greet, stand in the back of a golf cart, tell everyone, thank you. It's, it's out of this world. I got shit on by a lot of comics. Uh, I yeah, think I imagine yeah, a lot of comics were, that's I, what I, they do when you do anything that they have not seen before. That's what comics do. Yeah. Friends of mine, friends of mine just shit on it. Chappelle shit on it. He's not a friend of mine, but Chappelle shit on it. Oh, in the special. In the special, he shit on it. And I was like, which is very off-brand for him because he is a guy who did stand-up in Washington Square Park on a fucking soapbox. Like, he, that's how he got his start. So I, I kind of was like, and by the way, he is also doing it in a field in Ohio. So, like, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, hey, Dave, that's not, it definitely not didn't oh, seem like brother, they, don't get me started on that i had a lot of times when like, like when i started doing my little commercials I, I would do every time i had a tour gate i would try to make a little local tv style commercial with me and my green screen and then um i would see all these comedians making fun of it and talking fun about me and then i started hearing from clubs that they were requiring people to make these videos and i started seeing other comedians start making their own videos and emulating my style no one ever saw saying hey we got it by then they're like oh no everybody makes commercials but like no i remember you squarely making fun of me for doing this oh i got mocked mocked i've been mocked by comics that i uh, that i appreciate because i've been doing i've been doing promos for my shows since well no i was back doing clubs i've been doing theaters for a couple of years but now i announced a theater tour with you know obviously doing a dance video yeah people made fun of me for fucking non-stop what the fuck are you you're in a speedo yeah well guess what first day i sold for over fifty eight thousand dollars worth of tickets so suck my dick and i guarantee you you do something similar it's 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 such a fucking shitty business because i'm not trying to fuck anyone's career up by doing drive-ins at all and by the way just so you know had it not worked i would have been the one everyone made fun of and i was comfortable taking that hit because i was willing to try it Bro, I mean, and really, like quite the opposite. You doing th- you doing these drive-ins means that you aren't at a club taking someone else's spot, which they will easily be like, "No, we want Bert to come in, take this spot because he's going to sell out," and then bumps other people down the line. So you going and still doing theaters and doing move drive-ins helps comedians. Yeah, and I and I told every comic, every comic out there, and I've had a number of comics that some of the biggest comics in the industry that I respect more than anyone reach out to me and be like, hey, man, I want to do these drive-ins. One guy was like, this isn't your thing. Like, I'm not taking your thing, are you? And I was like, no. I came up with the idea of like, 
I was definitely the first person because no one was getting offers for drive-ins <laughs> until that. And no one was willing to jump on a sword as quick as I was to see if it fucking worked or failed. I figured, that you want to know secret time, Ron? Do you want to know where I looked at it? I looked at it as I took, I got my first initial offer was like 13 cities. And I went, I, it seems like a lot. Because if I don't like it, it's going to be a long fucking 13, uh, long mm -hmm. three weeks. And so I said, I'll tell you what, let's do four cities. Do four cities. See how it sells. People may not want to buy drive-in tickets. So if it doesn't sell well, we'll do them. We'll get in. We'll get out. And we'll lose some money. It's not a big deal. I watched a documentary on, um, on uh, uh, LeBron James. Uh, it's called The Decision. And it was, it was about him and his team deciding to be, take, take charge of his narrative for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating. I thought, that's exactly what Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan was known for most kids out there today as the crying Jordan, the crying black man. That's all they know Michael Jordan as. They never got to see him play. They don't know anything about him. And Michael Jordan did the last dance and he took care of, he took charge of his own narrative and said, no, 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 no. I'm the greatest that ever was. Isaiah's a bitch. Fucking uh, was uh, the guy that went to the fucking magic's uh, a backstabber. Horace Grant. Horace Grant's a backstabber. Fucking Scotty Pippen would be nothing without like, he literally was like, I'm taking care of my own narrative. I saw that and I thought, I thought if these shows are shit, I'll just bring a film crew with me. I'll shoot it the way I want to shoot it. And, and I will take care of my own narrative and no one, except for the people that were there, no one will know they were a nightmare. I will never show that it was a nightmare. Right. But oh, it'll be, yeah. regardless, it'll be a funny story. Like I'll go on Rogan. He'll ask me about it and I'm, I'll be real on Rogan. But narrative wise, I was like, yeah. It'll look fun. I'll take whatever's fun out of there and make them look like fun shows. And then the truth is we did the first one and it was picturesque. It was like better than I ever imagined. And the laughs worked. And I went, all right, look, if I, I wouldn't be doing 12 more cities mm -hmm. in next week, if it wasn't uh, it, it, right now, it's this week. So I'm releasing it now, but I wouldn't be on the road doing 12 more cities, doing a TV show and then coming home and doing another 12 cities on my ride home. If I didn't enjoy it. And I want, I, I've really said this when I started getting, trashed by a guy that was a friend of mine and and, I, and he was on his own podcast. And he was just kind of shitty about it. And I thought, I wish I could get him out of, out of the house and doing standup again. Cause that's all it is, is that mm. he wants to do standup and he can't do standup. And I get it. Like it's, I get it. It's not financially half full rooms are not financially a, a productive to anyone, the club, yeah. the comic, no one, especially if you don't have a hundred percent of the door deal, like uh, that, I mean, I did, I did a run of clubs at 100% of the door. I got 100% of the door. You don't get – that's not happening for, uh, for the yeah. majority of comics. And by the way, those aren't financially beneficial. You're just like, I'm putting my life at risk. I'm putting other people's lives at risk. I know they're trying to do the best they can to stay safe, but is this worth it? I don't know if it is. And by the way, these drive-ins aren't financial, financially a, a cash grab at all. I have to mm -hmm. travel with my own stage. I have to travel with a, another tour bus full of a crew that all have to stay socially distant. Everyone lives in the bus. Everyone's getting like more money than they normally should make mm -hmm. because of where we're at. So these aren't even financially acceptable. But what it is doing is it's keeping me sane. I'm getting on the road. I'm connecting with fans. And by the way, I'm doing to people what I would want done to me. Yeah. And thank God for Jeff Tweedy for doing a drive-in theater tour because he's taking Wilco into drive-ins and doing drive-ins. And I will go out of my way to see him because I want that in life. I want to reconnect with society and I want to do it in a safe way. And so if I can offer that to a person that likes my comedy, I'm going to do that. But I want to do that. I wish I could do that for more comics because that's all that's going on is that comics are just sitting at home frustrated, fucking yeah. frustrated.
yeah, you take away the thing that we've been doing every day, often five, six days a week for, for over a decade for most of us. And you pull that away, it makes you feel very pointless, makes you feel like you don't have a reason to live in, in some cases. And I'm lucky because I have a son, I have a fiance, but even I would wake up and go, oh, why am I feeling like this? It's because I don't feel that the reason, when I, since I was, even before I started, you know, when I was 17, 16, the reason I thought well, I was put here on this earth was to do comedy and to make people laugh and make people happy. And then when you can't do that, it really um, messes with your mind. And that's why I started getting back into doing the Zoom shows because I did one with Maria Bamford and I could tell that she had been doing it since you know, she, she like she had never gotten off the horse that she's been doing five sets a week since March. And I was like, oh, shit, like she doesn't care about uh, I mean, I'm sure she does, but she's not letting it stop her that she's not getting the reaction she wants. She's not getting that that dopamine drip. She's not getting the 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 high that we get from being on stage. She's going out and performing because she knows that's her job and that's what she was put here to do. And it helps other people. And I've been trying to look at it more like that. This like I'm needed now more than ever you're needed now more than ever people are stressed the fuck out and if you can do it safely and do it in a way that 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 gives people a little bit of a respite from what's going on in the world you're you're being a positive i don't see how anybody uh could hate it i mean i myself was just like how does this work it sounds <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's it's really awesome man it really is awesome if you get an opportunity to do one or to do a couple i know that a lot of people reached out and they're doing Smaller ones are doing stuff at the Irvine Improv parking garage. It's just as fun, man. It really is. Just, it's just doing. Uh, it's just doing a weird gig. That's all. Mm -hmm. It's like same. Like when you do well, you do well, and you walk off. I, I remember I had to do a. I had to do a uh, a classroom one time. They brought me into a classroom, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Go ahead and do it." And I didn't think it would work. And it was so much fun that I was like, "Book more classroom shows." You know, like it's the same thing. I, I think I know that they're doing some in Chicago. Um, they're doing a lot of people. So when I started doing it, I was the one that, uh, and I still am the way I do it now. I deficit fund the show. So like my ticket sales create the venue, meaning I, I get the stage, I get the, I hire everyone. And so if it fails, it's on my shoulders, but if it succeeds, it's on my shoulders. Now promoters have realized this can succeed. So they are setting up, uh, they're setting up venues like outside the Rose bowl. I think Brian Volkweiss, figured out like i think he did a few specials and then he had it set up and he was like well now we can make some money i have a comedy club basically mm -hmm. i know that there's a guy in chicago i know that there's a guy in long beach there's a guy they're doing the irvine there's a guy in nashville that's doing them and so if you can get out there and do a run of them i you'll love it you really will love it and it's and people are so i really think because they've been in their house they're very yeah. uh they're very receptive to it yeah but absolutely and i, I saw you it shows um so go ahead i'm sorry no, no, no. We'll say, I, go ahead. Say I, just, I was just going to say that I just love that um, when it comes to this art, it just shows you like how much fun it is to adapt and to roll with the punches as opposed to stay stagnant and stay like, well, I'm not going to do anything until it's back to normal. And like I, I which I felt that way for a few weeks, but now I've been really digging into other things. Like I've been doing a lot of Twitch streams where I, and not just like, you know, I'm sure you're aware of like the video game streaming and things like that, which yep. I do do with, with a lot of fans and friends. And, but I started doing this thing on Friday nights. Well, we'll watch stand up together. Like we, I played my special giggle fit cause it's on YouTube right now for free. 
Street for anyone who's not seen my special. And um, then I will this week we're going to watch some Brody and some Maria and, and some another old set of mine. And I just kind of break it down and, and talk about what I usually, especially when it was myself, I go, oh, this is what I liked about my set. This is where I fucked up. This is what I do differently now. And it's been a really fun way to just kind of um, find any new avenue to still be creative and still be connected to comedy. That's, I think that's like I said, man, it's what I love about this business is that is is that you can do your you can pivot and do your own thing and come up with great your own ideas. You know, Doug Benson is is a really interesting guy in that he started doing those 420 shows. I, I've said this out loud, and so I'm not hiding anything. I do a, I used to do these call and sick to work shows where I would go in, do radio from 8 a.m. till 10, drink on air, tell everyone not to go to work, go to the club at 11, and the show would start at 11:30, and everyone would call and sick to work. I tell everyone on air, don't go to work, call and sick. If you have a business. I'll give away, I'll give you away uh, tickets to your whole company, shut it down for the day, come drinking with me. And it was a great, I mean, they sold out so quickly. They, they would sell out in literally minutes. The second I'd announce them in whatever city, and I'd do them on Cinco de Mayo or like March uh, 17th, like on St. Patty's Day, they would sell out instantaneously. And I have said this a number of times, but I got that idea by watching Doug Benson say, I'll do a 420 show. You'd go into a city, he'd do a 420 show, and he'd be sold out at 420 and you'd be working your ass off to sell tickets for your seven and 10 o'clock. Yeah. And you, and you know what it was is that, and the clubs loved it because there was extra business that they never counted on. And I looked at that and I went, he does these shows. It doesn't have to be the, he was an out of the box thinker way ahead of his time. Yeah. The way he looked at the business was different. And I don't know if that's the marijuana or just <laughs> Doug's brain, but I shifted and I went, I bet I could, I bet I could figure out something like that. And so I've been very, I've been very uh, liberal with watching comics and, and, and seeing the way people work different things and saying like, you know, when it comes to business, not stand up, yeah. when it comes to business, you know, Joe Rogan to this day, I will, I will be forever grateful for that man. And you'll never hear me talk shit about him because he was the guy that looked me in the eyes and said, start a podcast. And I, I remember going like, I'm, I'm good on yours. And he's like, yeah, but that's my podcast. Do you do yours? Make sure you have one every single day. Like you put out one as much. I remember him telling me, double down on your podcast. Do another podcast. Because he's like, and that's a business model that I remember him saying, you got to have video to yours. Put video. Don't just have audio. I double my, he's always been very open and honest with how his business works. I love that. I mean, I'm, Two Bears, One Cave is, is no longer on Spotify. And because you watch Joe, you watch his business model. And he was like, no, you want my shit? You want my catalog? You got to buy it from me. And I'm not saying we're going to sell it to Spotify or we're not going to go back on Spotify. All I know right now is that it's better to have everything in my house, mm -hmm. in my pocket. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think we always can borrow liberally from each other in the business and like the way to do business, ticket prices or, or, or you know, I watched yeah. the way, before I went to theaters, I watched the way the business worked of who went to theaters early how they were adding shows, what their ticket prices were, when they made the leap, what was their first theater they did. Everyone does the Wilbur first. If you can sell the Wilbur out at $20 a ticket, then that next year you'll be selling theaters out. You can be selling theaters for $35 a ticket. Yeah. I didn't guess that. I watched it. You got to be adding shows. You got to have a $35 ticket in clubs and be adding shows on Thursday and Saturday if you want to jump to theaters. That your ticket's got to be undeniable. And so mm. these are all things I just watch the business. I watch people like Angela Johnson, Joe Coy, Joe Coy, fluffy, fucking add, add, add six shows to his weekend. Two show, add a show every fucking show, week night, 
<clears throat> and then come back the very next week and sell out the same thing. And you're like, of course he's doing the stable center, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I love that. And I, I love when people are open about business and I, I try, you know, the, my limited knowledge and experience, I always try to be open to, to my friends and because I think that's one of the things that has always been used against us, right? To like business deals and how much this and no go- negotiating your asking price, whether it's uh, stage or, or, or on set, you know, and I, I, that's something that I always appreciate when people are open about the business and that they look at this as a business. So many people get so wrapped up and still be like, oh, I got to have the best set. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to be the best in the world. And that's a fun way to act. And that's a fun challenge for yourself. But I long ago, again, a big friend of pro wrestling, I was like, I'm not going to be a mark for this business. I don't care. There's so many opinions. I think I'm good at what I do. But, you know, if someone never says I'm the best or never says I'm their favorite, who cares what happens is that i want to become the best at getting my material across my viewpoint across and reach the people most people i can that agree with me and then have them follow me for the rest of my life so i can build my own career that does not rely on whether nbc fox or cbs likes me that year you know yeah that is i'm gonna pivot how how are you on time do you need to get out of here soon oh man i'm we got all day okay I want to pivot. I want to talk a little bit. I want to talk first about your Conan appearance where they talked about editing one of your jokes because of the mm-hmm. M word. It was a great joke and you were very generous. I, I think I would be, I think all of us would be very angry when they change the wording of our joke or they, they edit our joke. And I think Conan was very like, I love Conan. I think Conan's the best. He's the sweetest guy in the fucking world. And he was very like, he was very like, it was very cool. It was a very cool moment on television to watch the two of you talk through how the industry works, how they edited you, and then have you kind of not tell the whole joke, but tell a little bit of that joke or, or finish it up. And kind of like the way you handled him, I was really, I was really like, uh, I don't know, proud's not the right word, but like you, you weren't, you were, you were stern in your opinions, but you, you were the same guy you said you were. You were very like, let's grow, you know? Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just this joke that I'd done years ago about when I cross the street to go get my son some pizza at a Papa Murphy's in Salem, Oregon. I was stuck in the middle of a crosswalk and someone yelled at me, use the crosswalk, nigger. And then I turned it around to be this joke about how they were looking out for me and that since they were a car, I I just didn't hear the rest of it. And they were saying, use the crosswalk, nigger. I'm worried about your safety. (laughs) And it was to me a a joke that showcased a a lot of my comedic style a lot of what i try to do in the world which is take a negative and turn it around and show you the positive of it i did that in several jokes like my fuck linda joke or whatever type of jokes i do and so when i went on there it was my first time on tv of course i tried to get the joke cleared and get it passed but i wasn't it wasn't as if i was gonna go Oh, they won't let me say nigger on TV. They don't get it. They don't get that it's not a racist joke. I'm not going to, you know, I don't even want to perform for Conan now. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I understand this business. And, um, I mean, it's just any curse word. Sometimes you have trouble getting across. Um, And to tell you the truth, Conan is not the first, not the last time that's happened to me. I've had full sets. I had a set that I deeply love that meant the world to me because I got to perform on the stage at the Apollo in New York City and I got a standing ovation and I got 
And I'm just thinking in my head, I go, I grew up watching this show. My mom loves this show. I'm thinking about all the people who've been on the stage, not just comedians, but like Mary J. Blige, thinking about uh, James Brown. I'm thinking about Billie Holiday. I'm thinking about the fucking legends and that I just got a standing ovation in the same room they were in. But guess what? I said a pussy joke. Steve Harvey didn't like it. So they cut my whole fucking set. So... And it bothered me. And then I tried to get a copy of it because I was like, can at least I show this to my mom? Can I have her see this? Show her that I rubbed the stump and all that. And of course, they were like, well, we don't have it. We can't find it for you. Um, and But now it just lives in my head of like, I know. I know I got a stand of innovation at Apollo. That sucks so bad. Was it? Well, I'm gonna take his job. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take all Family Feud. All of them. They're gonna be mine very shortly. <laughs> He's he almost got uh, called out in this cancel culture for some memo he sent out. I guess where he told everyone, "Don't make eye contact with me." I'm well. I'm well aware of that memo. Yes. <laughs> you can't. You can't talk negative about Steve Harvey in our house. My wife's obsessed with him. <laughs> hey, you like who you like. You love who you want. We a Bernie Mac household over here. Oh, we're Bernie Mac too, but my wife, because of the Kings of Comedy, my wife's Bernie Mac, Steve Harvey, Cedric, DL. Like my wife's, uh, my wife's a bit was when I first met her. She goes, "I got to play you my favorite comedy," and I went, "What is it?" She put in, she put in the Kings of Comedy, and I went, "Interesting." I was like, "I, I did that. not see that coming." That I love that. Videos. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the second one. America's funniest home videos. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. <laughs> That's a range. That's, That's a range. That's a, range. Yeah, you got to keep that woman. You, you got that type of range. <laughs> the, uh, the, let's talk wrestling for a sec. Because sure. uh, I've been, you know, it's interesting. Tom said what he said. <laughs> and I think everyone just thought I'd be party aligned. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a wrestling guy at all. By any stretch of means, I think no one would ever call me a wrestling guy. But it wasn't until then that I realized, like, what an affinity I have just based on my childhood growing up in Florida for wrestling, like Dusty Rhodes, when I first started doing promos for clubs, mm-hmm. I, st- I remember modeling them after Dusty Rhodes, like just wanting to not stop talking, keep stop talking, like just give me a minute to talk and then I'm going to be here. But Dusty Rhodes was like my go-to guy. Mm. And I didn't, and, and, and Hulk Hogan, I got, I did a promo with Hulk Hogan, uh, probably God, maybe like, six years ago, mm-hmm. me and Hulk Hogan were doing a, a show together and I did a promo to sell tickets and it was with, with Hulk. And I didn't realize how much I borrowed from professional wrestling until I realized, Oh, Hulk's got the same five phrases that are ready to roll at any, listen, let me tell you something too, titty Tommy. I'm going to come in there. And I was like, Oh, Abe, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, Bert Kreischer, the machine. I just want to let it like, I remember, I remember, it's so funny because I realized I, I for me, I didn't, I, 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 it was always in the moment. So like I'd get a big side and I'd be like, Oh, we got a promo a gig. I'm going to Australia. Here we go. So I'd set up a camera. I'd slide down. I'd fall off. I'd grab a beer. I'd kill it. And I go, Australia, it's your boy, Bert Kreischer, the machine, but it's old school promo wrestling. Yeah. Straight promos. That's yeah. That's what I was doing. What, what my things, I, I take so much from pro wrestling, not just my, like, if you watch my special giggle fit, there's a lot there. I'm wearing a Ric Flair robe. Ric Flair is in my special. There's a lot of it there. Um, but 
just in the way I do my business and the way I do handle comedy, uh, you actually mentioned it in the um, controlling your narrative. Like I would go out and do my sets and sometimes my rooms are half full and, and are less than half full, but I would always promote it. Like we were having the best fucking time because I was, and, yeah. and I knew, like you said, the only people who knew I was lying were the people who weren't there. And it always when it started showing me, it was like, okay, well, Thursday was half full. Friday was fuller. Friday late, it was even fuller. Saturday, we sold out. So it's showing me that as, as more I get the world out, the more that people see what I'm doing, the that I got a good product. So I might as well just continue to push it and promote it. And, and that's why I take a lot from wrestling is just I decide what we are. And if I don't say that what I'm doing is fucking awesome, no one else is going to believe it's fucking awesome. Just as um, in the same with like, just not being a mark for myself, not getting caught up in like, Oh, I want five Netflix specials. It's like, no, I just, I want a bunch of fucking money. (laughs) With everything going on right now, a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all. The answer is yes. It's still easy to shop for life insurance right now. And if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. Right now, you can save $1,500 or more a year by using policygenius.com to compare life life insurance policies. When you're shopping for a policy that could last you a decade or more, those savings really do add up. What's Policy Genius? It's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. And here is how it works. First step. Go to policygenius.com. In literally a few minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Step two, apply for your lowest price. Step three, the Policy Genius team is going to handle all the paperwork and red, tra- red tape. That's where I get tripped up. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they take care of everything. They even handle policies which allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. Holy shit. That is a game changer, people. That is a game changer. This kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 views on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You can save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes in their, on their marketplace. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This podcast is brought to you by Miller High Life. Miller High Life brings pride to the simple things in life. It's an unpretentious quality beer with refreshing champagne-like tiny bubbles in an iconic glass bottle. The glass bottle says it all to me, and it's accessible to all. Whether you're celebrating the small wins, big or small in life, there are moments within every day that you can just take a second and celebrate a beautiful sunset. For me, I have a 12-pack of Miller High Life waiting for when I take my bus on tour. This summer, Miller High Life will raise a can to celebrate summer simple moments with the limited edition champagne cans. Simple summer moments don't need to have a big celebration, whether it's, like I said, enjoying a sunset, just having a barbecue in the backyard, getting on your tour bus to start a tour. It's celebrating having everyone together for the first time. The grill fires up this summer. Find these limited edition cans in store right now. Miller High Life's been faithfully brewing the same way since it started on New Year's Eve 1903. Anything that starts on a New Year's Eve is a brilliant idea. Our founders believe that 
everyone should enjoy good, the good life, which is why they cre- created the Champagne of Beers, which Miller High Life has been famously brewing and known for for over 100 years. This summer, they released their limited edition cans, so go out and get one. They are available in stores right now for a limited time. Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach. Remember, celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's funny how much we borrow. I remember Bobby Kelly saying something about, we were talking about helping putting people over as on podcasts. I mean, Joe, Joe Rogan definitely put me over, you know? Yeah. Uh, he put Tommy over, he put Joey over, he put yeah. Ari over. And it's, it's, it's such a, and it, and it, and it, for people that don't know wrestling, that's like the, when you put someone over, does that mean you're going over the top rope for them or something? Or, or? that means that you let, that usually means that they won, that they beat you. Uh, or oftentimes it means that if you put someone over, maybe you beat them, but through the wrestling match, through them looking like they might beat you, you made them a bigger star. but but you know dusty rose made a lot of people like if you didn't know who this wrestler was before they got in a fight with dusty rose after they fought dusty rose they were a household name and that's Mm -hmm. what putting someone over and that's so funny that you say that because anytime i i come home from an interview that i really like i was like and my fiance will ask me how i was i go oh kelly clarkson she put me over she put me over like or i'll come back and i go oh they didn't want to put me over they they wanted to compete they wanted to fight with me you know they wanted to prove that they were funny instead of putting and that's you know the great host things like at midnight things like i'm doing a new show on quibi called nice one where where i'm trying to put a bunch of people over comes out august 24th it's basically a spiritual successor at midnight and i'm the host and i wanted to do that because at midnight put me over got a lot of people interested in me and so i was like i would love to do that for my friends i i love especially when it's people whose voices i really love and people whose material isn't as well known i I love getting them more more fans and getting them over yeah get putting people over is like one of the coolest things um and and but it's interesting how how closely we do borrow from wrestling because it is ultimately the same business in that in that and 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 and, and it is where you can get lost it's you can get lost if you're too married too close to the person you are on stage like myself i think i am i am probably i feel like i'm a von eric you know like i'm i'm i am who i am on stage and out of the ring and it it may not end well That's a great wrestling joke. You were for real, for real. Well, I, oh. I was a legit wrestling fan when I was a kid, like like legit. Um, and and I grew up in Florida, in Tampa. So Tampa, you know, Paul Orndorff was there from there. We lived down there. Hulk Hogan still. I mean, I've run into Hulk a number of times down in Tampa. And um, at Macho Man. Everyone was down in Tampa at times. Mm-hmm. And we we I got I was lucky enough to see Dusty Rhodes wrestle when I was a kid at the Tampa Armory, and. Um, and, and they have a great show. Have you seen Dark Side of the Ring? Oh, yeah. I love it. I, I get I get copies of it before it comes out. That's how deep in the game I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that deep. I'm not that deep. Like, when Tom said what he said, I laughed. And then I saw the outrage that came out. Of, oh, like, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, I saw you. I, I couldn't tell if you were fake mad or real mad. Both. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm real mad, but also fake mad. I was real mad because I was like, oh, I understand exactly what he's doing. And I'm mad that it's working. <laughs> and then I was fake mad because I was like, you know, it's fun and silly. And I like Tom and it's fun to 
if anyone's going to go against wrestling, then I'm I'm automatically a great foil because I do truly love it. I loved it since I was five years old. I watch it every week still, you know, and, and I think one thing you said that I, I, I don't want to get away from was that we do have the same job. We're working whether you're a wrestler, a comedian, even a musician, we're working to get a pop from the audience. And that's it. That's We're all doing the same thing. And it's a lot of ways the same job because either you get it and you understand why you would start at open mics and you would start off in these basement shows or in these dingy ass rings getting your bell rung for $25 or being at an open mic in front of four people for $2 or whatever the fuck or a drink ticket, you know? And, but you can't teach it to people who will never get it, but those who do understand how deep and understand how beautiful all these art forms are. Except yeah, for Tom it, Segura. Fuck Tom Segura. <laughs> that'll just be the promo for this episode. Yeah. The, um, it is interesting because I Tom it Tom is such a heel in that moment. It's it's by the way, what ha- what's so fascinating to me was that that whole thing was straight up out of a wrestling textbook. Yeah. Like it was a work and it was like, and it worked and it fucking, he was like, he was like a baby face heel and he came out of fucking nowhere and said what he said. And then, and I want to say like it, it's crazy because it introduced him to a ton of wrestling fans who then fucking followed him. And then were like, actually I fucking love this guy. Yep. And a ton of wrestlers. Cause you know, rest like, especially when like what some wrestler came after him for real and Tom just went right back at him. Go, if you want, you can come get this smoke. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, all right, I respect this guy. And you're like, fuck. Like it's interesting the way, cause, but, but I wanted, I don't, I just want to talk about wrestling. How did you, like, how did you get into wrestling? Like where, how did you, what was your, I can, mine's very direct. Like, yeah. uh, uh, we were sitting on the top of a dugout at Florida's at, at, at Forest Hills. And uh, Drew McCall explained the Ric Flair, uh, Ric Fla- Ric Flair. Um, maybe it was Rick. It was at the Tampa Sundome, but it was a Ric Flair match. He explained the match. He he recounted the match to us, and I was so engulfed in this match with. I want to say it was Ric Flair and Kerry Von Eric, but I don't think it was. I don't think Kerry Von Eric would have wrestled in Tampa. But he explained the match to us, and we were so engulfed in it that I was like, I got to watch this shit. And so what we got, we could get on Saturday nights, you can get the Tampa, Tampa wrestling, which was like uh, Mike Graham's. Mike Graham was the pretty much like Mike Graham. All, we went to school with all his kids. Mm-hmm. So, so we knew who the Grahams were, they were the gossets to us, but, uh, and, or you could get Texas uh, wrestling, which was the Von Eriks. Yeah. Texas wrestling was always just more interesting to me. It was a little bigger. It was a little more it's rowdier. Yeah, Tampa seemed a little darker, a little more dingy, but you could see it live. And that one conversation, I was fascinated for, you know, whatever length it it didn't last super super long, but it was a, it was an it was a no, nah, I was I say respect for it, but cuz I don't want to over I don't want to make it sound like I'm a huge wrestling fan, but it was you like don't a, have a whole wall of action figures like I do. I do not. I, <laughs> I definitely do not. I'm looking for I don't have anything. But uh 
But I'll tell you mine. Yeah. Um, it started in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and it was mostly because I grew up in like a house of old ladies. My, I was raised, my mom was a single parent and we lived with my aunt who also had a daughter and I was with my sister. So it was four women and, and me. And so a lot of my time was spent playing pretty, pretty princess or uh, braiding people's hair when they asked me to or giving them massages when they came home from work. And what would save me from that is that my uncle would take me to the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago and would take me to WWF house matches. And the first one I ever saw the main event was uh, Hulk Hogan versus Earthquake in a stretcher match. And I fell in love. This guy in the red and yellow coming out just full of energy talking about saying your prayers and taking your vitamins and I, and I just fell for it and I was all in and, and I've been all in you know there's that time period when I was like oh women don't seem to like this so I'm gonna say I don't watch it anymore and I'm gonna try to get some sex that was like 15 16 17 and then I was like oh it's still not working so I might as well go back and watch wrestling because now they're showing boobs so I get the best of both worlds and um, and so I fell back in, I've fallen in and out a while, but really what got me back into it was the independent scene here in Los Angeles, going to, to shows in Reseda, going to New Japan shows. And I fell in love with it again. And it reminded me a lot of, of comedy and a lot of of any community where I started learning and meeting people and watching wrestlers go from these dingy halls to getting WWE contracts. And it made you feel good for them. And it reminded me a lot of like watching a standup going from open mic in to featuring the headline into doing theaters. And you're like, man, I'm, I like this person. I'm proud of this person. I still feel that. I watched this one company I love called Game Changer Wrestling. And I really appreciate them because they were like one of the first companies. They took a little break during COVID, during the original lockdown. And then they were one of the first companies I saw doing these outdoor shows, sanitizing their robes, doing everything right. And then I would go and I'd see these videos of the clubs and seeing D.L. Hewley or hearing about, you know, Callan and, and Schaub. And I was like, fuck, like, how is this outdoor wrestling barbed wire intact show taking care of its people than a lot of my industry? You know, like I... I I have a lot of respect. I think um, if you ever get a chance, check out Game Changer Wrestling. They do a lot of uh, great stuff. Um, and, you know, I've just been a fan of wrestling for life. I will continue to be, even though there's parts of it that I hate. I hate some of the racist stuff, some of the homophobic stuff, some of the sexist stuff. But overall, I love wrestling. So what's up? I mean, you were so lucky to see WWF back in the back in the day live like oh, i've seen some great stuff i saw a ricky steamboat rick flair match i saw like one of their last uh spring stand it was late it was in the 90s it was like 92 but i got i got to see one of those famous rick flair ricky steamboat matches live i got to do commentary for a jerry the king lawler match really yeah how come that, you've never how come you've never tethered up with the wwe who's to say that i'm not <laughs> <laughs> we're working on a couple things because i feel like i feel like i you know one of the coolest things is i i was a he's he's such a cunt right now that i'm comfortable saying this but and i'm saying this as a joke obviously but i was such a fan of sam roberts when he was when he was an internal no a like i was actually mm -hmm. him walking in the room really like pumped me up that i was i will say this and i think he better believe it i was the first sam roberts fan like wanting him to take off but to see him grow and work so closely with the wwe and be tethered to like a passion of his that mm -hmm. that it's easily legit passionate about it's so fucking awesome to know that the business can work that way like it, it gets you excited to know hey you just like rogan was when he in the early days of mma 
to then go, this is where Rogan is today, which, I mean, honestly, he is the voice of UFC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's his passion. And to see someone connected to their passion when comedy is their true passion, but you go, oh, they also got that. I think it's just so fucking badass and such a such an example of where we can go. Yes. I 100% agree with you. Um, I, I love that when it happens. I think it's amazing. I think I, I do that in my podcast. I tell people, hey, don't chase the money. Chase your passion and, and, and find a way to make your passion profitable. You don't, want, you, know, you don't want to be out there starving, but if you're out there doing shit you don't like, you burn out very quickly. So you, it's best to chase your passion and chase your mind. Those are people who are, yeah, I would love, any, if I could work with wrestling, I would love to make a comedy movie about wrestling. Um, I'm the, one of the reasons why I'm getting more into Twitch. I love video games my whole life. And so I'm trying to make my passions my my job and my so whatever i love and is that comedy wrestling video games getting better self-help i'm trying to make that part of my job and part of what i do that's really interesting um it's it's uh it's you went to didn't you did you did, correct me if i'm wrong but did you go to wrestling school yeah three months that, santino brothers yes and that's where you started losing all your weight right no, I'd already lost a bunch of weight earlier. You got, you got in better shape then, I guess. Yeah, I got in better shape from doing the wrestling for sure, for sure. And uh, just I've been doing a lot of weightlifting and things like that. I'm getting real close to being my personal best. I'm excited about that. Uh, but wrestling school definitely helped. It was the first time I had done anything sports like. I'd never in high school. I never did football, wrestling, basketball. I never did any of that. And so this was the first time I was on a team that I had partners that I had to go up and shake everybody's hand. And I did it for three months, and I learned. I learned a lot about my body. I learned that I could do 300 squats at one time, but that the next day was not going to be fun. And I learned that I'm not going to be a wrestler that, you know, that is because they started talking about like, hey, if you're really serious about this, you you might want to think about getting a part time job so you could help us break down the ring and you can go out and travel with us and learn the ropes. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I did this already. So <laughs> That's funny as fuck. It's so funny when, whenever, like, uh, it's fucking awesome. I remember one time I got offered a job. I got offered a job playing video games. This is when I had money. I must, I, I had money at the time, and uh, before I lost all my money. And I remember them going, "Yeah, you just gotta be here at like six o'clock in the morning." And uh, and I was like, "Oh, I, I'm, I, I can't make six. And they're like, "Well, that, if you want, you gotta be here then." And I was like, "Oh, I, I guess I don't want it that bad. Never mind." <laughs> And the guy was like, well, you're getting to play video games. You're getting 200 bucks for the day. And I was like, yeah, I don't really care about it. I'm sorry, buddy. And he was like, wait, no one says no to this. And I was like, yeah, well, you're hearing it for the first time then. Yeah. No, I love that, man. You got to know. You got to know who you are. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing something for a month in a place where a bunch of wrestlers are. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping I can find a workout partner where we go to the gym and lift weights. Like, I'm hoping I can find someone like that. Where I I'm gonna reach out because I and, and I'm, I want it to be a pro wrestler because I I I envy those like like I was watching uh oh fuck who was just on who was just on um dark side of the ring who died in his hotel room unexpectedly had a stroke or uh, passed away in his hotel room um he was friends with Eddie Guerrera. He was best friends. Oh, oh, no, wait, wait. No, I think you're mixing things up. Are you talking about Chris Benoit? No, 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 no. It was that's Chris not Benoit the thing. No, no, no. It wasn't Chris Benoit. You're right. It wasn't Eddie Guerrero. Um, <laughs> no, uh, guy that passed away in his hotel room and he was just, 
ah, oh, fuck. Anyway, I would, I was hearing them tell stories of getting up in the morning and working out. And it was like, it reminded me of college. Mm-hmm. of like having a workout partner. Like I don't have a workout partner. And I was like, oh, when I move this, I might reach out to like. Why don't a, you make your features do that? That's what I do. I make yeah, me my features Shane, be my workout partner. Me and Shane Torres go to, go to Planet Fitness. He jumps ropes and I go on the treadmill. I'm talking, I'm talking squats. I'm talking, get it off your chest, bitch. You can do this, do this. I want fucking yeah. meatheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do like that too. I, oh man, I've gotten real. That's one of the things I didn't know about my big health change and stuff is that I end up really liking lifting weights and working out because, and a lot of it was because like my whole childhood I had to be pretty adult, you know? Um, my mom was in an abusive relationship very young. She's also a single parent. I was the head of the household pretty much, uh, the man of the household at like eight. And so I was always working about my sister and worried about this or that and always focused on other people. And um, working out, lifting weights was one of the first times where I go, oh, this is for me. This is all about me. I don't pick up the phone. I don't do anything. It's just me and my trainer or just me by myself. And it's just something I do for me. And it really makes me feel like a teenager. Like I'm just like put on some fucking uh, hardcore rap or some fucking heavy rock. And I just fucking lift it out. And I, I, I really love it. And I think that's one of the things I did not know when I was a young comedian. When I thought I was like, oh, I'm just going to be fat. And I'm just going to wear hoodies. And I yeah. just eat Philly cheesesteaks at two in the morning. I didn't realize that. No, I fucking love getting up at seven and and working out and getting a good sweat and then coming here and then being like oh i got an audition and then i get to smoke weed and just chill out it's fucking dope wait have you any have you done any auditions over zoom yeah i've done a few i booked a couple and then i turned them down (laughs) that might be a great auditioner on zoom yeah, I did one today. I just did one today. I don't know if I booked that one, but I just did one today. And then uh, a couple self-tapes um, and one other Zoom one. They're not fun, but I kind of like it because um, I'll just have a dressed up top and pajama bottoms. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. Well, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so, I'm, I'm so happy that, you, that you're Doing Because the, the last time we hung out was when we did the podcast here. And I remember being like very adamant going, you got to start a podcast. Yeah. No, you were very much one of the people. And so much so, I was like, I'm going to use your producer. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I really very much appreciate it because it's, it's really been um, not just, like I said, a home for me. It's not very much profitable yet, but it definitely was helpful for selling tickets on the road. Yeah. And it's helped me build a community. And I've gotten a lot of my favorite compliments in my whole career have come from the podcast because people saying like, you know, oh, you're so funny. Or I like this bit. I like this joke. It's awesome. But when people are like, you you know, you got me through some bad times or I'm going to therapy now or I had one lady send an e- uh, email that from listening to my podcast with Whitney Cummins. She was like, I dumped my abusive boyfriend after listening to that episode. And I was like, that's the best compliment I ever heard that we helped make your life actually better. Yeah. I wish that my podcast. Uh, yeah. People I, just get fatter from yours. <laughs> They're just like, man, I just started drinking again. You told me. I could do it. I'm like, nice. I'm glad. <laughs> it is interesting. The emails you get from podcasts where like, I've been very open with anxiety and I just talked about losing our dog uh, mm-hmm. on the last podcast. I'm sorry to hear that. It was a really, really heartbreaking thing, but the connectivity of podcasting, especially in a time where we're at, where people feel very alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so important, you know, and it's, and I, and I think it's such a cool I don't look at it as it, I don't look at it as uh, as content per se. I don't look at it as an interview. 
even. I don't look at it as a show. I look at it as an extension of social media of mm-hmm. like a way of talking to people and just, and having people on that. Like it's, you know, one of the, I think what happens a lot in our business is people see uh, comics in different camps, like maybe myself and you, and then go, Oh, they don't, they probably don't like each other because mm-hmm. him and Tom were talking about wrestling. And I go, Oh no, no, I'm allowed to be my own grown up. Like I can be whatever I can say, whatever the fuck I want. Like I, I, I have no problem with Ron. I think Ron's fucking super talented. He's, you've made me laugh so many fucking times. And, 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 and if it wasn't for what Tom said about wrestling, I probably wouldn't have just started watching dark side of the ring, which I've been loving. I fucking love that show. It's a great really, show. It's a really great show. And, and, uh, and and it's and it's been really cool and and I will say I gotta credit Halston because he's been silent this entire episode, but me and you working with the same producer has never caused a hiccup at all. And I, I gotta give credit to Halston in that he ha- he handled that like such a grown up in wanting to work. He really genuinely I think he worked with me because he had to. He wanted to work with you. Like he <laughs> wanted to work with you. And and he uh, and my hat is off to him because. We work him. We run him ragged over here, and and uh, and it's and not once have we ever had one hiccup where I ha- I've never once heard him say, "Hey, I can't do that. I'm with Ron ever, yeah. fucking ever." And well, I've so- heard I've heard the reverse a couple times because <laughs> <laughs> he knows where his bread is butter. But overall, exactly. I mean, uh, Halston, even though he's fucking listening right now, he's an amazing producer. He's he. he definitely is very just one of the most professional people and he makes my podcast look and sound way better than i would do so um yeah no he's he's been wonderful but i have heard no i can't do that bert needs me (laughs) (laughs) i'm a little bit by the way i'm the i'm the problematic ellen degeneres uh steve harvey guy like i halston can say halston are you still here are you listening always listening halston can say i am okay between the two of us halston Who's more difficult to work with, me or Ron? <laughs> well, that's quite a loaded question, I would say. Um, you know what? You're not difficult because you're right across the street, and uh, that's very easy. You're very easy to get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Is that I, I, you're talking about Eduardo Guerrero? No, I wish I could remember who died in a hotel room. Um, it was one of the... He he did. No. There's a lot of people, man, because I remember most of that series, and I don't know what you're talking about. I know they went over Owen Hart and him dying from the fall. They yeah. went over um, Jimmy Superfly Snooker and him murdering that lady. Not him. They went over... See, now I'm forgetting. Axel Rotten. No. Oh, I didn't see that I didn't one. see that one either. I saw the new Jack one. The new Jack one was really good. I didn't good. see that one either. I didn't see. <gasps> Did you see the one about the UWF where the guy was, was found? He died covered in yeah. cocaine and yeah. prof- yeah. <laughs> of course you saw that one. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I connected so much with that guy because I watched that right when I set up this whole drive-in movie theater tour and I go, I'm fucking setting up a company, a business that has no, like I am the same fucking guy. I'm selling it on my own dreams. I had to call my agent and be like, here's the deal. I'm doing driving movie theaters. Get me some offers. He's like, it's not a thing. It's not going to happen. And I was like, here's, you got to picture it, picture it. And I kept selling it. Drone shot, right? Just a drone shot, sun setting, cars everywhere, big screen. You see my body on the screen, right? It's Americana. Tom Petty, fucking 
Rick Springfield. Like this is the, and he was like this, you're overselling it. Like it's not going to happen. And then he called back. He was like, I got you an offer. <laughs> the guarantee is dot, dot, dot. And I was like, wait, that's not the offer I was thinking. Don't you remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I also took stuff from that when he was like, ah, take Vince McMahon. I'm going to, I'm going to take Vince McMahon down. And I was like, Vince McMahon doesn't even know who you are. And I was like, oh, that's probably me and my beef with Steve Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> He's not thinking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I do love. It's one of the things I love. I talked to, I talked to someone the other day, and I said I just love people that just even if, even if they're wrong. I love reckless talk. I think that's a Chappelle line. I love, I love shit talk. Shit talk, dude. It's. I mean, it's I, when I first started doing Rogan's podcast, I just went up and trashed everyone. I was like. This is why I don't like this guy. I don't like that guy. This guy did that. This guy did that. And I think everyone's like, Bert keeps it real. It's like, you know, uh, uh, fucking, fucking, fucking. But like some guys have made a career out of it. I was about to say someone's name. I was like, let's just keep his name out of our mouth. I don't want to kill that fucking guy. But like there are guys who made a fucking legit living out of it of just yeah. tr of, of trashing people. But the one thing I think that's interesting is that you you don't mind speaking your mind about people. No, no, I try to keep it classy, but I always try to be honest. I will tell you ex how I feel. And, and if you were here at my house, I might tell you a little bit more, you know, but I like to be classy, but I definitely don't like to shy away from what I feel. I like, I, why would I have this fucking job? I'm a self-made person. Nobody pays my fucking bills but me. So why would I at any moment shy away from talking about what I feel? Am I wrong sometimes? Sure. Maybe it wasn't Steve Harvey's call. Maybe it wasn't producer's call. But I remember what it felt like to me. So <laughs> if you could get Steve Harvey on your podcast, would you have him? I would. Because I would ask him about that. And I'm sure he would not recall. Then I would ask him a lot about Monique. <laughs> oh, shit. And I love Monique because Monique out here telling the truth. It's interesting. It's Well, it's, it's interesting because there's two sides of that. Is that you can't deny that... that what Netflix game plan is, is to draw in new people. They want new people to subscribe. So unless you're going to bring new people, they, then that's what warrants the money for Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. You know, Dave Chappelle's, his specials are must-see. Like, yeah, yeah. people buy Netflix for it. And I can see that maybe Monique wouldn't bring in as much, but I'll tell you who I, who's, I do get behind is Wanda. Is like, Wanda's offer... I, I can see when she, I was like, I, I believe she deserves more. And I believe she will bring in, I believe she may not bring in as many, but she will, she has been on so many network television shows that have been successful. She's such a, 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 a pillar in our community comedy wise mm -hmm. that, I, that I would, I would argue Wanda deserves way more. You know, I love Monique stand up. I fucking love Monique stand up. But I do, I do understand that Monique's stand-up is different than Wanda's stand-up. Oh, I agree. I agree. But I will look at it less from stand-up material-wise because I feel like if we looked at it that way, a lot of these specials don't exist, right? Like, a lot of these specials don't exist because they were ready. They exist because they were looking for someone to pop numbers. But if you look at all or, the things... Or, that or, you could all say, or you could also say, fill a slot. Fill a slot. Absolutely. 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 Um, but I would say if you look, just look at the resume, look at what she did, look at all the things she's oh, accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Look at the Emmy, look at the Oscar, look at all those things and then go 
do you do uh, there's a lot of comedians getting bigger offers whose resume don't stack up to that and you might say that they won't draw in numbers but then i think you're discrediting how much black women fuck with black women and how much people will be drawn into that. There's a reason why they just now added girlfriends and up and up and all these black shows that we've been begging for them to add because now they're understanding the value of that black dollar and they want to keep it. And to me, if you, Monique would have bring in that black dollar heavily and there's just the fact that she, it's a thing that gets, you know, you do, you, it's harder to, cause now I'm just taking it personally myself because you look around and you go, okay, is this the criteria that I'm supposed to have to have a special? Okay, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this, I do more than that. And then they still go, nah, nah, maybe you do a half hour. And then you go, well, well what's, the, what's the criteria? What's the goal? What am I supposed, what can I change about myself that will make you think other than the fact that you, oh, you already got that slot filled? And I just never... I love stand-up. I love specials. They're all special to me. They're all wonderful to me. And when people are watching bad stand-up or bad specials because they are now the arbiter of what they consider stand-up to be and then they are given a disservice because they're not shown great work, it bothers me. It bothers me, and I take that personal. And that's on me. That is on me. No, no, it's not. not not not, I'll, I'll, I'll heavy the burden with you. Is that it was on? It was on me too. I got really upset. I was it, when I, when I did my, before I did my first special at Netflix. Um, I was I wasn't getting specials at Netflix either. I wasn't, and I wanted one, and I felt like I was good enough to have one, but that was not the situation. And then and and uh, and I had a few conversations with a fucking a very couple pivotal dudes in my life who I. I, I know that are in the same place I'm at, not, not same place I'm at by any stretch of the means, but are like, I look at his big brothers. They're my, they're roughly my age, but I look at his big brothers. Yeah, I understand. And, um, and, uh, they, the one thing they said is make yourself undeniable. Yeah. Make yourself undeniable. I remember I, well, I'll give you both their names. Joe Rogan and Bill Burr have been like big brothers to me in so many ways. And I, and I'm friends with both of them. I'm not in the same place they are, but like we're peers, but mm-hmm. I look at them as big brothers and I remember buckling down and not getting caught up in the bog of who I thought shouldn't have specials or mm-hmm. who I thought I was better than. I remember they offered me a half hour and I turned it down and I said, I'm going to pass. I, I think I deserve an hour. I think I, I remember saying, I don't mean it disrespectful because I definitely wanted to do. And obviously I didn't say it disrespectful because I did a special at Netflix and it took a couple. But I, I said, I believe that the art forms an hour and I believe I can do a better hour than I can half hour. I, I, I was very specific. I said in the half hour format, I don't think my fans will show up. I think that it'll be cast as an audience. I think mm-hmm. you're going to light their faces. I think the material I deliver me taking my shirt off, you're then asking a bunch of strangers to co-sign on what I'm saying. And I don't want that. I want my fans in a room so that they can, they already know what I'm going to say. And if they laugh, they laugh because they're like, I don't care. He called his kids fucking stupid. I, I don't need to be judged yes. because I'm an actor in the front row going like, ooh, I don't know about that. They're women. Yes. Is this misogynistic? You're like, fuck off. I want my fans there. And so I I know for a fact that I sold out I, I'm, I sold out an entire run, uh, an entire two years of clubs beyond ticket sales, did a European tour, did a Australian tour. 
and got my numbers to a place where it was undeniable. And mm-hmm. when they came back to me and they said, we'd like you to do an hour, I remember feeling, and I, I think I might've said this out loud in the Netflix. I might've said this out loud to Netflix in a meeting. I said, I was very proud, but I said, I got myself here. I said that I didn't, didn't look at my managers and agents and say, thank you guys for getting me here. I said, I got myself here. I earned this. I busted my ass and I got to a place where I was undeniable and they had to offer me a special. And when they did, my special performed well because I not only, not only, but like in that trajectory, I became undeniable not only to the audience and to Netflix, but to myself. And I said, I'm not dropping this. I did more stand up than I've ever done in my life. And I did a good special. And when they said, we'd like you to do another one, I said, hey, I'm not dropping the ball. I'm going to work even fucking harder. You, I said to my daughters, legit, I'm gone for three months. I will see you guys at the end of three months. At the end of three months, I'll meet you in Cleveland. We're shooting a special. I can't wait to see you guys. And I fucking disappeared. I came back. Halston knows it. I came back on, I'd come back Monday. I'd be home Tuesday, leave Wednesday. And I, for three fucking months, because that is my commitment to this business. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, I just, I would just say, cause I, I know the frustration that it is, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, not within reach. And I think we, I think especially for you, I think with all these streaming services opening up and all the streaming services raising the tide. Now the tides raised where when I jumped on on Netflix, Netflix was here and there was nothing. And now I think the tides raising where I think, you know, people will, I wouldn't say, I don't, I would never put you in the Monique category. Like, I don't think anyone like goes, you need to respect the black dollar and, and hire Ron. No, think, not at all. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. no. no, no. But, I think, but I think like, I think, you know, where there are like Red Grant, uh, Red Grant, um, Melanie Camacho. There's a lot of really talented comics where that play uh, predominantly to black audiences where you go, yo, they need their, that is one of representation. Don't just put a guy on because he's black. Throw on a guy who's playing to the black community. Like throw in Don, like Donnell's like, well, Donnell's probably a little bit more crossover, but I don't know. But like, I think, I think you're on your way. I think your path oh, yeah. is undeniable. People like Amanda Seals. That's who I look at. That that the black community fucks with her so heavy, and she sometimes that poor woman well, has been destroyed yeah, yeah, yeah. by black yeah, Twitter. Yeah, true, black Twitter's true, come true, after true. her. She's true, so true, true. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. <laughs> yeah, <whoa. laughs> Fucking god damn it! It's so funny to see who like Sean. What's the guy's name? Sean Sean White, the dude that Sean White, the guy that. Is like the they call him Talcum X. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like oh no, Sean King, it. Sean King. Okay, that I know. Sean yeah. King. It's like, man, he's an activist one day, and then he's getting attacked on Black Twitter the next day, and you're like, you're like, God damn it, man! It's that internet is not a place to fucking. I don't even want to be there. Yeah, true. I don't want to back up though, but I really appreciate the undeniable thing because it's something that. Yeah, because at first I was angry and upset for a good while. Halston knows he's been through a few of my rants. Uh, but I then started going the same route, like not just undeniable in my comedy. I think my comedy is amazing. I think my hour is amazing. I think that special giggle fit I put out was one of the best fucking specials of 2019. Honest to God, I think it was one of the top three best. And so um, now it is truly about making my business undeniable, yeah. making my base undeniable, showing what I'm about because this is just this is not new to me. It's not like I don't get it. This didn't happen to me. I remember one of my first NACAs, one of my first college benefits things. Well, my then agent said to me, 
well, I guess you're just too white for the black kids and you're too black for the white kids. And I was really hurt by that. But then I also took that seriously and I go, oh, he's looking at that as a negative because he can't put me in a box. He can't sell me to black colleges. He can't sell me to white colleges. But what I am is for everyone. Like I'm for people who love comedy. I'm for people who are optimistic. I'm for people who aren't optimistic. I I produce a unique product that you probably haven't seen before. And that's amazing. And that's wonderful. And I will continue to build my audience until i am undeniable because i don't plan to quit you're not gonna out one thing you are not gonna do as long as i'm breathing is outlast me in comedy i will be here i thought you're gonna say outwork and i was like oh you guys can all outwork me oh you can outwork me for sure that's all the time (laughs) yeah no especially people who are just straight stand-ups i got voiceovers to go do i got acting (laughs) class to go get to that's one of the things that's one of the things i hold issue with kevin hart when he goes you will not outwork me i was like no you can have all that work i can't catch up with you i'm not the hardest worker like i i sit back on whatever like i remember is this is well we got to wrap this up i feel like i could talk to you for hours but i remember <laughs> i remember the first time i went to uh communion i know you've heard this story halston and uh and i went to communion and i um took communion and i sat down and i said a prayer and then i get back in the pew and my dad said hey buddy what did you pray for i was maybe uh 10 years old and i said um i just thank god for all these god-given talents and my dad goes what talents i said all of them <laughs> and my dad's like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. And I was like, yeah, you can outwork me. I got all these God-given talents. <laughs> I like to put them both together. I like to take my talents and work, work them out a bit. But I don't like to overdo it. I think a lot of comedians, they get so caught up in, like, you know, doing seven sets a fucking week. And they burn themselves out. And I'm like, no, I like bouncing around. Same thing. Like, oh, if you're not fucking with me, you don't want to give me an hour? Cool. I got trolls to go work on. I got this to go work on. I got that to go work on. Look at Andrew. Andrew Schultz is probably one of the best examples of I will become undeniable. I remember I remember listening. I remember hanging out with him a few years ago in New York and hearing people saying, I can't I can't help you. I don't want to work with you or whatever. And Andrew saying, what, like, I'm ready for a Netflix special. And everyone's like, nah, whatever. I'm not going to fuck with you. And then you look at Andrew Schultz now. God damn it, man. That guy's undeniable. Those okay. Sunday posts he puts, those rants are better than anything any late night talk show host has even remotely up their sleeve. They are so fucking good. They're all well over a million views day of. And his stand up, his his crowd work shows are fucking insightful. They're, they're smart. They're fucking they're tense. They're fucking awesome and that guy and there's a lot of guys taking that you look at mark norman mark norman just released his own special on youtube what has it got like four million views now you know sam morell sam morell has released his special on youtube just straight to fucking youtube by the way this was a conversation me and burr were having two years ago when i didn't have an opportunity for a netflix special this was the conversation i was having with burr and burr's like you just want people to see it you just want people at your shows oh I've been pitching to to all things comedy all the time that we need to have our version of pro wrestling and UFC. They have, uh, are you familiar with the Fight app? F-I-T-E? No. Okay, well, it's an app. It's one of the apps that I watch GCW Wrestling on. And they also, they show Impact Wrestling. They show UFC fights. They show, well, their whole thing is combat sports and wrestling. And it's like a, like a Netflix, but it's a simple 
service that you you get access to this and then you pick and choose and you're like oh there's an event i like i pay five dollars for or ten dollars for and i watch it and i was like we need that for comedy so that people who have lower means can create these small specials whether it's through something like chris titus's production company or something like that where we're making these more these smaller budget specials and then just marketing them directly to fans and going like hey there's a whole network of here of specials here that you can watch that aren't, you know, vetted and aren't all these things. Those are things that I, I think of. I mean, I think of comedy business all the time. Ooh, you're talking right up my brain. I am comedy business, man. I, I And I used to not be that way. I used to think, look at Dane Cook and go, go, why? He should just be an artist. He's so funny. And then you went, there's oh, no, so that's fun. There's so yeah. much fun. It's uses the, the other side of your brain and you can be just as creative. You can be just as funny. Um, just figuring out the business aspect of these things. I love it. I, I, I truly, I love it. Well, man, this has been a fantastic podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Ron. Um, pleasure. I think I was supposed, was this the hoops one? Halston, was I supposed to talk about hoops and I didn't? <laughs> Wait, what's hoops? What's hoops? Hoops is a cartoon I'm in that's coming out on Netflix. It stars Jake Johnson, Natasha Leggero is in it as well, Cleo King, several other funny people. Um, I play Ron, who is who's also my name, and I am an assistant basketball coach and the best friend uh, of the main character, played by Jake Johnson. It's very filthy, it's very dirty, it's pretty funny. Uh, I think they were the one who booked this interview, so I probably should mention it. <laughs> Well, all I care about in cartoons is everyone of color is playing a person of color. <laughs> no one's acting. I don't want to make sure anyone's acting. <laughs> <laughs> I do know I got a I got a Cleveland show audition for Cleveland after that. And I was like, no, people just say that I'm like Cleveland. I you, don't way, sound if, like Cleveland. You, if, if they could just I could you would have to do Cleveland's voice, right? Yeah, they wanted to sound alike. And so I just sent it in with my voice. It was just like, I'm pretty, uh, you guys go ahead, throw this one away. But I think it's actually more racist that you came to a guy that doesn't sound like Cleveland than when you had the white guy, because the whole Cleveland character in the beginning, in the beginning was a white guy's impression of a black guy. So you should just keep him <laughs> white as far as I'm concerned. Oh, my God. To force a black guy to do, to like minstrel it up and be and be an impression of what a white guy thinks a black guy sounds like is worse than just a white guy doing what he thinks the black guy sounds like. Oh, I had a long conversation with my manager after that audition. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. They're dead. There's no Cleveland. You're not going to get a black guy that goes, they're like, Hey, uh, you ever seen like, you ever seen uncle Ben's rice? What do you think he'd sound like? You're like, oh, I'm not doing it, man. Yeah. That's yeah. I was reading these things. Like, I don't want, I don't think I want this job. Uh, not, not no disrespect to the Family Guy people. It's a great show. My, my son loves that show. It's one of his favorite shows. Uh, but I just know I didn't want to play that role. I do understand the idea of making sure more people of color are represented and that if you're having a black character that it should be played by a black person, but it should be from a black perspective. It doesn't make a lick of difference if you take a black voice and, and everyone writing for him is a white man of over 45. Doesn't make yeah. any fucking sense. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's important is if you're going to have perspective is don't just have them, you know, have it have it throughout. I, it's so funny. I did a cartoon voiceover and uh, ha and not even halfway through towards the end. I realized that both kids and the woman were played by black people. 
the they're black actors mm-hmm. and I was not black. And then I looked at the picture and you couldn't really see color in the characters because it's a fucking cartoon and they look like anime. They're animated people. There's not, I think they were like red. I don't even know if they were like, they were black. They were, and I panicked and I went, wait, hold on. Is my character black? And they're like, what? And I was like, am I, am I a black dude in this cartoon? And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? And I was like, like, Everyone is a person. Of, everyone, I didn't say a person of color. I was in a room. I was like, everyone's black in this fucking. I'm not gonna fucking pretend I'm more. Yeah, woke that would be really crazy young. if you yeah. did. So I was like, <laughs> everyone's a person of color, and they're like, wow, this is such, not the bird I ever thought. I was like, everyone's a homeboy, and I am no. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I said, everyone's black except for me, and they're like, is that a problem? And I went, well, no. Am I supposed to be acting black? And they're like, no. We just like the sound of your voice. Just you be you. And I wait do I sound black? And they're like, wait, hold on. Do they sound black? And I was like, no, I didn't know they were black. And they're like, then just be yourself. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And that's where I was like, and I thought about that. I was like, that's where wokeness becomes a tab at exhausting where you're like, Mm -hmm. just like, I I, I didn't even, I didn't even know that the woman, my wife and the thing. So you're not in the room with them. You're just doing voiceover. I didn't know she was black and I didn't know the kids were black. I just thought they were kids and a woman. And I was like, yeah, then, and it'd be weird if you're like, no, they need to be white because she's my wife. <laughs> like yeah. that would be that would be really weird. So I think, yeah, a lot of people again, we talk about it, they overstep on a very simple issue. It's not all about like who plays what voice and who plays this voice. And I think um a lot of that went back from when Hari was talking about a poo, and a lot of people just didn't take what he was taking. They didn't take it personally of how it affected his personal life. He wasn't like, oh, this character is horrible and there was nothing everything ever funny about it. He was just saying you guys weren't aware of how much this affected other people. And I think yeah. that's what we need to look at. And that's why I mean, like, you know, I talk about it on my podcast. I like, I stopped taking auditions for, for like gay characters. Cause I was like, there's plenty of black gay actors. Why don't you go in and get someone who's actually gay instead of just because I sound like this and I have a lisp doesn't mean I'm gay, but go find an actual gay actor. And so there is a bit of like, you know, they, they will whitewash things where they can. So I like looking out for that. But overall, it starts at the top, it starts at creators. It starts at showcasing different black stories. I'm sick of every fucking audition I go to either being a black story of a guy freshly out of jail or some redemption story. It's like there's just black successful people, just like there are white successful people. We're all different ranges and different groups. And when I want to tell a story like, you know, things that I'm pitching about being a young black single dad who loves being a black single dad of a son with autism and they come back and they go, oh, it doesn't sound urban enough or it doesn't sound like this enough. It's like, how do you know I'm black and it's my fucking life at the end of the day with Hollywood and all that shit, it is a business. So you're going to want to get a star. It's not like if there's some new out action movie and they're going to go starring Ron Funches, that's just not going to happen. I will be like the four fifths or sixth lead because that's just how business works. I, and I'm, yeah, I never want to get away like, well, you know, we better make sure that everything is okay. And everyone that was represented in the story is played exactly right because then you're getting away of art and you're getting away of business. But I still think, just having an open mind and just not running things like clockwork like people do where they just go like, well, we got this show and we got four. Oh, we better throw in one person. So many auditions I go to 
are just all the actors of color, black, Hispanic, Indian, Pakistani, whatever my, whatever Eric Griffin is. Uh, <laughs> we're all there at the same audition fighting for the one part that used to be a white guy that they decided, well, we got too many white guys, so we better keep this character white, but find a black or different color person to play them. And yeah, that's no, what no, needs to change. No, I, I agree with that. I just think that what's important, if you want change, you need to get the story out so that people can start to understand, oh, I was wrong about that. And I think that should happen first, maybe, as opposed to just going, I don't know, I'm going to edit this out entirely because I got too much, <laughs> I got too much business we're, we're running. <laughs> the, uh, I think it's, I, 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 what sucks is that you, what sucks is sometimes you can't have certain conversations because it triggers people yep. and they try to get you fired from whatever the fuck you got going on yep. and they protest you and you're like, Hey man, it was, it was a conversation. It was meant to be a conversation where we figured things out as opposed to, I didn't mean to, and then, and then they'll just pull it out and you're like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't had that that much at podcasts, but that's one of the reasons why I started, stopped interacting with Twitter so much is because people would always, you know, take the second or third interaction you had and then retweet that and frame that as your original interaction. And that's one reason I was like, oh, I'd rather talk long form in my podcast. But now you're telling me people will just clip that up. So uh, yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> uh, it's fucking it's it's a it's a minefield out there right now. It is, but it's a lot of fucking shitty people who don't have things going on, who, who just, you know, people try to take down creators and none of us are perfect. I've been trying, people try to cancel me four or five times over, and it's always the opposite. I do one tweet one day and then anti, you know, then the gun rights people hate me. I do another tweet, then anti-gun people hate me. I do one tweet, all the Britney Spears fans hate me. And at the end of the day, I just go, you know what? My fucking mom likes me. My big bootied wife likes me. My son likes me. Fuck y'all. <laughs> well, we should wrap this up now. I've had a blast talking to you, Ron. You've been a fucking more than more than enjoyable to have a conversation with. I, I absolutely love you, brother. I love you too, Bert. I appreciate what you're doing out there. Um, not just, you know, doing new things and trying new things so that we can see it and learn from it. But in particular, you take a lot of my friends out on the road, like Shane, like Jesus. Um, and they always have nothing but the best things to say for, for about you and how you take care of them. And I judge, I judge people, how they treat my friends and how they treat the people, you know, financially below them. So, um, I just always heard you're, you're just a good dude. And I appreciate you. Hey, thank you. God bless man. Stay safe. Everyone check out his, uh, his streaming through Titus. Go to romfunches.com. When was September what? It's going to be September 5th. But just go get tickets now. I remind you, put it in your calendar. Get tickets now so that I can show these numbers. Take them back to Netflix. <laughs> Undeniable. <laughs> And then Hoops, August 14th. I am King Shark and Harley Quinn, which is out on HBO Max August 1st. I have a Quibi game show, which I am the host of, called Nice One. And that is out August 24th. So I got a big fucking month. Oh, and I'm in a movie called with Disney Plus. It stars Brian Cranston, Angelina Jolie, Danny DeVito, Shaka Khan, and Ron Funches. It's called The One and Only Ivan. I play a, a rabbit that sits in a fire truck. It's on Disney Plus August 14th. Check that out because I want more Disney money. God damn. You are working. You are a working man, Ron. God bless. Right. Workers work, brother. You know it. Uh, loves your family. Take care. All right. Same here. All right. Thank you, Halston. Awesome.
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.